Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, playoff ranking number two is out. Somehow, Georgia is number one. A shocker to all that the now best team in the country, the, the, uh, what's it called, like resoundingly is now number one. They actually got something right. I'm proud of them. Unbelievable. Um, I can't believe that Georgia was. No, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, Georgia being number one was the most obvious number one, I think, that we've had in the playoff ranking in a long time, in, in mm-hmm. a very, very long time. Um, I wanted to hit on a few playoff things here to start. We do have a lot to get to, as you could probably see by the length of this podcast. Jaden Hazelwood, oh, yeah. Tom Hart, they're both going to join us in a little bit. We've got figuring out buying furniture. <sighs> Not a fan. And Always a fun time, yeah. Never a fun time, literally never. <laughs> and then we got Lad of the Week. Of course, we have a full Week 11 SEC preview. But I think the biggest point of interest for the, the second playoff rankings was whether Tennessee or TCU was going to be at number four. I thought it would be Tennessee. TCU got that spot. Quite frankly, I don't really think that Tennessee fans should be overly concerned about that development because I think there is a very obvious spin for Tennessee. If I'm a Tennessee fan and I'm like, oh man, we're on the outside looking in, regardless of how things played out for you over the weekend against Georgia, which obviously things could have gone a little bit better, just a little bit. I'd come back. Slightly, yeah. Had some missed throws, some would say. A couple of plays here, a couple of plays there. I mean, what's the Marcus Satterfield thing? We're right there, right there, We're right there. Yeah, Just always get Bell involved. You'll be right there. Yeah, sure. The good news for Tennessee: four remaining unbeaten's in college football. Four weekends of football left. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is a top-ranked one-loss team with likely two wins against teams who are going to probably stay in the top ten or top fifteen. We'll wait and see, kind of how things play out. But that seems like a fair thing to say at this point. Falls will have a better one-loss resume than Michigan or Ohio State, like the loser of that game. And mm-hmm. if you're worried about TCU and Oregon, look at the remaining schedules. They're backloaded. They're really, really backloaded. They have no room for error. Meanwhile, Tennessee, home games against Mizzou and Vandy. And then you've got the road game at South Carolina, and you don't theoretically have to go to an SEC championship. So for a one-loss team who basically has its path blocked to a division title, I think that's about as good as one could ask for, right? I mean, I mean, spin zone, now you don't have to play in the SEC title and you could still make the playoff. So was this good for Tennessee? Some are asking. Yeah, I mean, like if they make it and then if they get the rematch and they get the rematch in the playoff instead of having to face an SEC West team to get into the playoff, then you could certainly point to that. But obviously getting there is the biggest goal, but we'll play the results with that. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. The, by the way, this is not going to be a who lost to Oregon by fewer points metric to get into the playoff that's i look i I understand where tennessee fans are coming from and we're not no i'm not sitting here trying to erase 4093 all right saw Mm -hmm. it with my own two eyes it was a bloodbath okay Mm -hmm. but people are spending way too much time breaking down the quality losses okay right we've got eight plus years of data saying that this is all about quality wins. I say that each and every year. Stop comparing how good your loss is compared to how good your loss is. Or I guess if you're USC, it's about how good your brand is because my <laughs> God, that ranking's an absolute joke. That's that's the biggest 
if there's if there's anybody that should have a gripe, it's a one loss team that was ranked behind USC because they are somehow at number eight without a win against the current playoff top twenty five. Meanwhile, UCLA has two, including one against the team that beat USC, my Utah Utes. Yet mm-hmm. the Bruins are twelfth. Like just because they didn't play a non conference game against Power Five competition, USC hasn't either, and Michigan didn't either. So Michigan and USC are so unbelievably overvalued by the selection committee right now and it's frustrating i I love i love the show game by lincoln riley to be like okay well you know um i'm starting to get getting properly rated at oklahoma now people are stop stopping like putting me in the playoff by default because they know i'll get embarrassed so i will simply just get my get my red a little bit different shaded and then now boom i'm right back where i need to be Forget all that stuff. This is not Oklahoma. This is USC. Do not look directly at me, brother. (laughs) God, that's basically what it is at this point. Like, I I would love to hear the actual explanation because there is no metric where it makes sense. There's none. And I, I, that, that to me was just driving me nuts. We, Mm -hmm. we won't dig into the one loss, Georgia, two loss, SEC champ, LSU, one loss, Tennessee debate. We're not going to dig into that until that conversation is a bit more realistic. Because again, I was going to say yet. <laughs> yes, we we could. We very well could. We have four weekends of football left. Four <laughs> weekends of football left. A lot of things can happen. Just to be safe, Tennessee fans, maybe, maybe just root for a little Arkansas upset against LSU this weekend. Maybe that would be in your best interest. I think that would make sense if you wanted to flip the, you know, do a little buy flipping. That game comes on at noon, you're flipping over, you're watching, you're, you're watching LSU and Arkansas, and you're like, huh, hmm, okay. Arkansas gonna gonna need gonna need that ground attack get going right now. Would would really prefer that. You don't want to necessarily have that discussion, but there are a lot of dominoes that could fall that would benefit Tennessee. And that's I guess my point watching these rankings play out, even though Tennessee didn't get that number four spot that many, myself included, thought that they would. Any mm-hmm. other playoff takeaways? Um, no, I think you hit the nail on the head with UCLA versus USC. That was like one of my big ones. It's like, and dude, Chip Kelly has like been in national time. You know what I'm saying? Like he's been there. He's proven kind of time and time again that he's a good college coach, at least. NFL, he was probably more of a bad GM than a, a bad coach. But that's one thing I've always said about Chip Kelly is like, are we sure he's even a bad coach? He's obviously a bad GM. And so we see them, UCLA now all the way back to relevance. You know, Moore kind of brought them back for a second, but now it looks like they're actually kind of here to stay as long as Kelly does. So, yeah, I mean, the two new additions from the Big Ten looking like, what, the third and fourth best Big Ten teams, and then there's a pretty big cliff. Um, Hard to tell without, you know, light competition, and that'll get itself sorted out. But so far, that's looking like a great pickup for the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if, if you're one of those people that's, Assuming that the selection committee is going to stick with their with their reasoning week over week, I would say no, TCU on, is a pretty good example of why that's not the case because it looks like they very much corrected themselves. And I understand three teams in the top six lose. Of course, there's going to be a lot of movement, and TCU stood to benefit from that as a remaining unbeaten. But it's like, all right, they beat you know a Texas Tech team that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. They beat them by ten, covered lock of the week. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> But they, I mean, it wasn't like that was the type of win that you typically see to vault a team from seven to four. Nonetheless, TCU sitting in a spot where if they run the table, they will be in, obviously. And Tennessee is, of course, going to have to hope for a couple of things to work in their favor, but it should set up well for that. 
Okay. You gotta just assume too that the college football playoff is run like Dunder Mifflin Scranton, and like every day they just open up and it's a whole new office, it's a whole new day. Michael Scott walks in, and he's like, "Today we're gonna talk about um, simple rating system. Sure, that'll be a big thing of this week. And until it actually matters, it doesn't matter. So if you hold them to their word week by week, you're just gonna be disappointed because it's like a completely new vibe week to week in that room. Yeah, and it's especially later season, later seasons of the office, wherein they all of a sudden just didn't have a boss and they would decide, Oh, right. this entire storyline that we built up. Um, who is it? Uh, Daryl and oh, what's her name? Ah, who's the Daryl's love interest later on. It works in the warehouse. And she oh my the gosh. I forgot that happened. Yeah. yeah. No. And, it's and like then, Andy's on a sailboat, like yeah. we're all over the place with these college football rankings. Like just don't expect it to make sense. You will be disappointed. Exactly. Okay. Before we dig into everything else, got to tell you guys about our friends at Texas Pete, who, like I said, they sent me the, care package of all care packages last week so many things that i am excited to get into had a little bit of the the the, uh the garlic the garlic hot sauce as well which you throw that in there with with the burritos something like that just gives you a little bit of that a little bit of that heat not too much that's what texas pete is great for so many different things when i when i shared that picture i had so many people reach out be like oh my god i had no idea they had so many different products yes I'm telling you right now, they have so many different things that you need to get your hands on, especially that popcorn with Texas Pete seasoning all over it. Very, very good. Uh, if you have not somehow heard this from us, Texas Pete has the spice and the flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, like I said, run, do not walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, Will. Week 11. Mizzou, Tennessee. Tennessee's number five in the country. They're 21 point favorites. The over-under I have is four and a half references to bounce back. Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, Big, Big Sean. Sean. That's right, Big Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night, Tennessee took an L, but maybe they'll bounce back. I bet nobody thought I was going to come up with that reference there, but <laughs> here we are. Listen, I was shocked that we said it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this actually kind of that premise works for both teams because, of course, Mizzou lost very fittingly Mizzou fashion against Kentucky last week with the the mm-hmm. punt scene around the world, the roughing the punt scene around the world. Um, I, I think it applies to Tennessee just a little bit more, just a little bit. I think there's a difference between bounce back and get right. A mm-hmm. get right game would imply that the competition is so far inferior that one will inevitably get right. Whereas bounce back is more of an after the fact kind of thing. Does that make sense? Or did I overthink that? No, hundred percent. Like I usually use USF as an example, although Florida did recently struggle with them. Usually if you see USF on your schedule, you're like that's a get right game. We'll be able to run all of our fun plays. The sorry teams are the get the right sorry teams. teams. Yes, of course. I say that because I don't want to assume that Mizzou is a get right defense for the Tennessee offense. Mm-hmm. What about last year when Tennessee just pretty much ended that game against Mizzou in the first quarter? Um, <laughs> I would say much like Tennessee's offense, which is greatly improved year over year. The Mizzou defense has improved drastically as well. You can mm-hmm. clearly point to that. And the metrics, I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize just how good they've been, besides the fact that no SEC team has hit 27 points against Mizzou yet 
31st in the country in scoring defense. They're 26th against the pass, 21st in yards per pass attempt allowed, 18th in yards per play allowed, 15th in 40-yard scrimmage plays allowed, only allowed five of those all year. That seems pretty significant against an offense like Tennessee. It's not a bad defense by any stretch, and I've been banging that drum for a little while. As Mm -hmm. much fun as we made of them of last year, they are not that group this year with Blake Baker. We just watched this Tennessee offensive line get humbled a bit, and I wonder if Mizzou, with that really good defensive line, I wonder if they have some success up front, just some. Don't get it twisted. Still think Tennessee going to hit 30 points. They're going to get that that bounce-back offensive 30-point streak, whatever you want to call it. I think that happens. I think Tennessee wins, but I'm not really crazy about a 21-point spread because I, I don't think it's a hangover thing. I think it's all Mizzou does is play in these close SEC games, and then they find a weird way to lose. Like that's just the way that it kind of is. They're so like I, anti-Bama. Like Bama is in all these close games, and they find a way to win. Mizzou is like the opposite. They're like, "How are we here?" Oh, that's why. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the ultimate. We don't belong here. This is why we can't have nice things. That that is Mizzou. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing middle of the third quarter. Again, this is the noon slate. So you can picture a lot of things for the for the noon slate. But mm-hmm. middle of the third quarter, I could see a world in which we're like, uh, is this Tennessee offense okay? It's 17 to 14 right now. What's what's, what's going on? Let's mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, just like that, boom, two touchdowns, game's kind of over. And then Tennessee wins 31 to 17. So I fully anticipate all of those opposing fan bases with playoff sort of implications tuning into this one. And being like, wow, see, Tennessee looking really vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. And they'll totally ignore the fact that Tennessee actually has the most wins against power five teams with winning records. Five, nobody else has that many. And everybody will just kind of brush past that. And the fact that they actually still have a lot of very quality wins in there. And even Kentucky sneaking into the top 25 kind of benefits them. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's what we do this time of year. That's that's what we do. We evaluate teams. We overvaluate teams. Um, so I think Tennessee wins this game, but ultimately it's a game in which we are reminded Mizzou defense still pretty legit and has proven itself. Bounce back game or get right game for Tennessee. What do you think? I love that framing on this one. You're absolutely right. Because the national, I mean, I would even think SEC fans don't understand how good Mizzou's defense is. And you see Mizzou on the schedule and like a, a casual fan would think even maybe the playoff people would think oh this is a speed bump you're gonna hit them run over them it's gonna be fine but to your point they've been in these games they were in one of these games with georgia yeah. they were literally in one of these games with georgia who we've seen is the best team in the country where it was like and also you know it's funny we were, we were trying to pick the game that georgia would struggle in and of course we landed on tennessee in the preseason one thing about that i didn't say in the last spot is if we had told you kent state and mizzou you would have been so much angrier than if we had said Tennessee. True, very so, true. So, so point being, like, this Mizzou team will just be good for no reason. So I, I do think Tennessee wins. I think that exact game script is how it goes. I think Mizzou comes out feisty as usual. I think their defense plays well. But then Brady Cook has to do things. Be Brady Cook, yeah. And when he is himself, his truest self, sometimes they say – you know, you got to be yourself. That's the key. He needs to be someone else. I think he needs to just be, again, do the opposite of what you think. <laughs> and, but point being, he will have enough snaps to give the ball away, to throw the ball five yards on a three-yard route, to where Tennessee's offense is really good, and they're going to come back and win convincingly. But to your point, if you're score-watching, you're like, what's going on with Tennessee? If you're Brady Cook, just be like Mike. I, yeah. I don't know who Mike is in this, in this instance because it's not Michael Jordan. It's just... A guy named Mike who's maybe done yeah. pretty well playing the quarterback position. Pick your Mike. Who's of choice. not you. Exactly. Yeah. As long as Mike is different, be that. 
Mike is not Brady. Yes, that's right. all that matters. <laughs> uh, something else I wanted to bring up. Hendon Hooker, still second in the Heisman odds, by the way. For those saying mm-hmm. that, oh, he lost his chance because of the Georgia game, eh, not so fast. Plus 300. I'm intrigued by Drake May at plus 1,200. 35 total touchdowns already, so that 40-touchdown benchmark that we keep talking about, that's not going to be an issue. And if they beat Clemson in the ACC championship, Gene Chizik gets a Gatorade bath, whatever. Uh, one loss, UNC team, I'm not saying playoff because their resume is still very much lacking. They don't have the quality wins to probably get there as a one-loss team. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's that's an interesting one to keep in mind. And also, and you'll like this, Will, Jane Daniels is at plus 1,600 right now, 16 mm-hmm. to 1 on your money. He's got 24 total touchdowns, potentially four games left. That is mm-hmm. if they are able to get to an SEC championship. So could have to get like four touchdowns per game to get to that 40 touchdown mark, which he's already got the double digit rushing touchdown. So, you know, that's there. That's a good metric to have. Hey, he's probably a ways, a little bit of a ways off to be able to have that thousand yard rushing season, which would look really, really good as well. But just that as from a statistical standpoint, probably the best argument that one could make on the final weekend before the Heisman do something against Georgia neutral site. Literally anything, because Bo Nix is right up there, and he did nothing. Buddy, Bo Nix and Hendon Hooker didn't score a touchdown against Georgia. And I mean them personally. I realize that Hendon Hooker technically led the touchdown drive, but those two guys did not mm-hmm. get into the end zone in either game against Georgia, which is just incredible to think about. Mm-hmm. So if Jay Daniels comes out, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, considering where he was a month ago, like... That's the proverbial Heisman narrative. So if you're one of these people that's like, I don't want to just throw my money at CJ Stroud right now, which why would you at like plus 140? That's not mm-hmm. not enough juice there, but um, just something to keep in mind. Something really intriguing to, to kind of follow because I expect those odds to change pretty drastically after this weekend. Well, I would say, you know, picking Drake May for the Heisman, I think takes the focus off of the real heart and soul of that team, which is that Gene Chizik defense. Yes, so I find course. that to be, I'm a Gene respecter, so I would never take that Heisman vote because I think, you know, he's the second most important person. I, I would spin the crap out of that. <laughs> I would spin it. If, if, we, if we had to sit here and like talk about the Drake May uh, Heisman, you know, reaction and all those things, I'm like, you know, he's just got so many different, you got a lot of possessions and you got to give Gene Chizik a lot of credit for what Come he was able now. to do, put him in those spots. Of course, we will spin it in our guy Gene's favor. Okay. Speaking of Jaden Daniels, LSU, number seven LSU, they are in the second playoff poll. They're three point favorites on the road against Arkansas. The over-under I have, three and a half times the word playoff is said. Mm-hmm. As it should be. You know what? That's that's the discussion. And if this game stays close, playoff implications that a lot of people will be tuning into because everybody knows a two-loss LSU team that wins the SEC championship is going to be really difficult to keep out of the field. Mm-hmm. If you're an Oregon fan, maybe you're waking up, flipping this on at like 9 in the morning local time, that is. In Oregon mm-hmm. to, to be able to, to tune in. Um, side note, I do radio in Portland about once a month. Fun fact about me. Uh, great people there. Really great mm-hmm. people with some realistic expectations about this team. And talked about how little they paid head coaches on the most recent appearance earlier in the week and said that if Dan Lanning left Oregon for Auburn, that Oregon would be like Ben Wyatt leaving the accounting firm after three different stints that lasted roughly five minutes total. Mm-hmm. But as for this game, um, week to week, I have been horrible at predicting what to expect from Arkansas and LSU. <laughs> so I'm telling you that now. <laughs> Saturday is going to be no different. I'm going to be off on this. Probably going to be off, and LSU fans aren't going to like that. It's funny because I actually feel like their identities are pretty entrenched at this point. I feel like we know 
who these teams are, it's just mm-hmm. a little bit tougher to figure what we expect from them from quarter to quarter, even within a game. And they've mm-hmm. played in some of these games that you're just like, well, that makes no sense whatsoever. We know Arkansas wants to force LSU to defend their ground game after a very physical game against Alabama. We know mm-hmm. that LSU is going to have Harold Perkins spy KJ Jefferson, try to limit his abilities beyond the line of scrimmage. Finally, if KJ's out there, by the way, which that's a key caveat, he's banged up. I mean, yeah. he is. And, and Sam Pittman was pretty open about that, talking about it on the SEC teleconference, saying that he hasn't thrown all week. Uh, he even made sure to say that they're confident Malik Hornsby, if that needs to be the game plan for them. So keep that in mind. If this line moves significantly like Friday night, Saturday morning, something that could absolutely be a factor. Either way, though, I don't think we see a hangover from LSU. Maybe mm-hmm. famous last words from me. I realize that. But I'll say if you have – this is, again, another side note. I'm getting very off track with this game. I don't know why that's doing that to me. If you have a field-storming victory, save your thoughts for field-storming and what it actually means, mm-hmm. the safety of players and fans, all this stuff. We're, we're talking about if you have a, a victory of that magnitude, I think you should have the right to get a late checkout at your hotel the following week. Just show picture as proof, just a selfie if you on the field. Yeah. Just an afternoon kickoff, not playing any noon games after a field storm. You get okay. to play at the earliest. You're playing 2.30 local time. Oh, you know, I see what you're saying. That would yeah. be cool. I think that's smart. Show that we all, We've all seen the pictures. They're there. They're, they're just mm-hmm. right there. But it's, it just sets up for us to be able to use that hangover narrative when it's the early game, it's the sleepy start, all those different things. Mm-hmm. Um so this this in terms of how this will play out, Matt House, I think he dominates an offense that might be limited. And as we've seen in games where KJ doesn't have his full mobility, I don't think Arkansas is quite the same offense. If this is played a month ago, I'd probably pick the Hogs. I probably would. But now that we've seen Jade Daniels take some significant steps, this is the type of defense that he can exploit, especially mm-hmm. now with Miles Slusher suspended. So the Arkansas defensive backfield is going to be asked to do a whole lot, which we know they have not done a whole lot this year. If Drew Sanders is asked to chase around Jaden Daniels for an entire day, like I don't know that the Arkansas defense looks like it's really in it in the second half. So I'm going to go with LSU to win by two scores after a potential slow start hungover start maybe a little bit because you know it's not really a game until lsu is trailing in the second half here's something lsu is trailed in the second half six times in seven power five games and the lone exception was what will Florida. that is correct i knew mm-hmm. you'd have that of course we all saw it <laughs> we all saw it. that was the only will famously said that he was not scared and Look, if you saw your team play very atypically, which typical is playing in a game in which you're trailing, having to come back, mm-hmm. big of you to be able to recognize that. You know this LSU team better than I do, clearly. Listen, if they would have gotten, if Florida would have gotten the lead in the second half, I would have been like, look, right where we want them. They didn't even get to do that. <laughs> Spin so, zone either way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, How do you see this playing out? I think this game is going to be really interesting. You know what's crazy about that two loss 2017 that I feel like is like underappreciated is that they lost Arkansas November 23rd, which is like almost, you know, several weeks from now. And the first loss came against Kentucky on October 13th, which is way different from this one, which is obviously a week one loss, which those can be a little bit fluky. And then obviously you get the beat down against Tennessee, which was earlier in the year. Um, So it's crazy to think that like that already happened, you know, LSU 
had was at home against Arkansas and laid an egg against that great backfield. But it's it's crazy, it's crazy to look back at that. Is where I'm going with that. Uh, just because it's like, how did we even like process that at the time? Because if one loss, let's say, um, I don't know, let's just say Tennessee lost right now, it would be like, okay, they're done. You know what I'm saying? But point being, um, that I, the great thing about this game is a couple of things from an LSU fan perspective. First off, I love the early kickoff because it's at Arkansas. You know what I'm saying? If I was at LSU, I would be furious. I'd be like, oh, we need this home field advantage. The cool thing or the interesting thing about these last two games is at Arkansas, at AM, both teams that are kind of fighting to like put their season back together, have some momentum in recruiting. So you'd love to see these games be a little bit earlier in the day to where it's not like a full with the joke about they're throwing batteries. Like every SEC fan base has pride in what they do and no road game is ever easy in the sec so i'd love to see that the second thing is the question for brian kelly was always if he could beat great teams it was never if he could beat the teams he was supposed to beat (laughs) and so you know you don't get to all these 10 win seasons at notre dame by losing these random games you have to beat every team you're supposed to beat and then lose the big games and that was the fair criticism of him so i feel like this is one of those that you know the team and if you've seen his answer about this he's talking about you know change of mentality and it's so cool. And this could be my moment that I get put all over the airwaves. I get it. But it's so cool to see a team that actually is like responding to this stuff and not just tuning it all out because Les Miles, Coach O, we've talked about it, Agnosium. These are the games that those teams would lose for no reason. I saw one of the worst performances in my life as an LSU fan, one of the Les Miles teams that lost Alabama. He got blown off the field against Arkansas. And that's always how this rivalry goes. LSU is still thinking about Alabama. I hate to say it, but they have this giant, awesome boot trophy and how LSU moves on which I, you know, Brian Kelly is kind of an expert in. So I, I think that's great. And to your point, the pass defense is bad for Arkansas. LSU, again, an earlier version of LSU. I'm worried about that because they couldn't throw the football. Now it's like, well, if you put a spot on Jaden, you talk about Drew Sanders, great pass rusher. You know, if they start to get in Jaden's face, he can just uncork it, which he feels great about. You know what I'm saying? In previous games in October, in September, you know, he could have gotten overwhelmed by that rush, which is pretty good for Arkansas. But especially since another guy gets suspended there thin as it was. Um, so, you know, LSU and Arkansas just kind of switched DBs last offseason. It's going to be interesting kind of seeing those guys yeah. play against each other. All those cross the, the crossover with you know Brooks and Fouché, like it, mm-hmm. it, I wonder what that that conversation looks like. Like, oh, how are you liking your new dicks? Right, exactly. Trade, yeah. Uh, but I, I I wouldn't necessarily say that Arkansas is is in position to um, be totally ineffective from a defensive standpoint. I think they still have some good moments where mm-hmm. we are reminded, okay, they do have those guys that can rush the passer. And as mm-hmm. you bring up, I, I think that we do see Jaden Daniels maybe have some of those moments where you're like, ah, no, he's not, he's not keeping his eyes downfield. Those chances are there. And then it maybe it takes halftime to be able to say, look, those, those chances are there. You need to be able to trust this. We need to get this thing and we need to go. So I do mm-hmm. think LSU is ultimately able to, to come away with a victory. And it's kind of a, just a, just a weird year it's been for Arkansas. And that continues in a game like this. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's stick in the SEC West number nine, Alabama. They're number nine, right? Yeah. Number nine. Yeah, weird. that feels weird, doesn't yeah, it? Clemson's 10, Ole Miss is 11. Alabama. Just USC between LSU and Alabama, right? Where they belong. Just right. a team that would clearly beat Alabama and lose to LSU. As, 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 yeah, that's where they belong. <laughs> let's, let's play the game. Uh, LSU, Bama, or Ole Miss, which team fails to score 50 points against USC? 
Oh, man. <laughs> they all hit 50, right? <laughs> uh, maybe LSU because they would be, you know, killing clock, but that would be the only reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they all hit 50. Um, great. This is the SEC game of the week. It's still Kiffin and Saban, even if the implications are a little bit different. Implications mm-hmm. are greater for Ole Miss than they are for Bama. Who would have mm-hmm. thunk it? Bama is still an 11.5 point favorite. The over-under, I have one and a half references to the word motivation. Don't you know it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's coming. We will play the results with this one, just like we do with all Bama non-playoff bowl games, which there's mm-hmm. only been two of in the last decade. We had the 2019 Citrus Bowl, and then we had uh, in 2013 when they went to uh, who was it? They they got Oklahoma. Smacked. Yeah, they got smacked by Oklahoma. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think this game is a different kind of challenge for Saban than any he's had to deal with, and, and here's what I mean by that. We talked about the stat the other day, two losses pre-Iron Bowl for the first time since 2010. Mm-hmm. Because the Iron Bowl is the regular season finale, you could say that this is the first regular season game that Alabama's playing in the playoff era that won't have playoff implications for the Tide. And I realize, I realize after 2019, they lose to LSU and the resume was still a little bit kind of, kind of all over the place and they weren't necessarily picked to go to the playoff after that. Mm-hmm. But they still had that chance as a one-loss Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. And remember, Utah lost that year. So they literally, if they hadn't lost in the Iron Bowl, very easily could have been it. Fair point. And look, I don't know that that there's that there should be a, a set-in-stone expectation for Alabama in this game. I, I don't because I, I think it's a different thing to get motivated and stay disciplined when you have playoff hopes as opposed to like staying motivated and disciplined when you're the preseason number one team who has two regular season losses and is playing for what, like a New Year's Six Bowl? Look, I don't know. And maybe different guys will respond differently to that, but it Mm -hmm. is something that I think is is worth bringing up. I don't know which Alabama players have mentally shifted to the NFL. I don't know if some, some of those depth guys are seeing what else is out there in the transfer portal because tampering definitely exists. And even when Saban was going through this in 2010 with that team, that was preseason number one. Of course, they had the three regular season losses. Like That was still before transferring and all these different things that you had to deal with in NIL and it's just a different world to try and keep your team on the same page when national championship, it ain't happening. It's not. Mm-hmm. Bama is the first AP preseason number one to suffer multiple regular season losses since when, Will? Oh, man. Uh, number one. That's hard because I can think of like some twos and threes. Um, I mean, was it themselves in 2010? No, but you're close. You're very okay. close. Ironically, the first AP preseason number one to suffer multiple regular season losses 20, was 2012 USC. That was the last time it happened. Coach USC Biden, was a preseason number one that recently. Coach These people need jail time. Plain Kiffin. Mm. Yep. A coach so, who famously succeeds when given a big stage. Exactly. And maybe he will succeed on this big stage. And maybe this is Kiffin's biggest win yet at Ole Miss. Who knows? Mm-hmm. On the Ole Miss side. There are still playoff implications. That is still there. If Ole Miss wins this game, LSU loses at Arkansas, guess who's suddenly sitting there with one loss and a clear path to Atlanta? That would be Ole Miss. This mm-hmm. is huge for Lane. It is huge. Last time that Ole Miss had one loss in November was 2014. They lost to Auburn, uh, a game that we did, in, and it just meant more game, actually. Playoff elimination game. Literally on November 1st. So, I mean, like they they do not get to this point in the season with one loss very often, of course. How huge do you think this game is for Quinshawn Judkins? 
oh, won man. a state title. Yeah. Pike Road in Alabama. Didn't get that Alabama interest coming out of high school, even though he was a stud. Which, again, mm-hmm. that's one of these weird recruiting cycle things where you're like, how is that guy a three-star crew? Because, man, he ran for like a billion yards in high school. Mm-hmm. I love how sometimes that gets counted like fairly and sometimes it doesn't. You see it in the college football field and you're like, oh, yeah, same guy, huh? Yeah. Oh, same guy. Just, yeah. Play, different uniforms. Different, uh, yeah, different uniforms, exactly. Yeah, but I wonder what his workload is going to be like coming off of the bye week. So we'll, let's do an additional over-under. Over-under 30 carries for Quinshawn Judkins in this game, Will. Oh, man. I think that's – I'm going to say a little bit under because I think they need to air the ball out, but I think we're going to be right there. Like, I didn't think like 28. It's weird to say, but I think the game plan for Ole Miss against Bama has to be really run heavy. And that is partially because Jackson Dart is Jackson Dart. But I would would at least be curious if I'm Lane and Charlie Weiss Jr. I would want to see if Bama can defend you for 60 minutes playing that style, that up-tempo style, that run-heavy style, that – look, if you're disinterested, that's a bad team to have to face. It really is. And – Bama's run defense has been good overall, top 10 in the country in efficiency, but they've been gashed pretty good in the ground game in their three true road matchups in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss, on the other hand, not a great run defense. Bottom half of FBS. Here's my favorite stat that I dug up this week, and I'm I'm putting this out there as someone who defends Bill O'Brien more than I throw him under the bus. So if anything, this is like working against my narrative in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, stop licking your lips. Stop. <laughs> I'm not. I'm learning about Pike Road, Alabama. This is a place I've actually never heard of, which is rare in Alabama. Good for Yeah, check that out, man. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Bama is number three in the country in yards per carry, but number 88 in the country in rushing attempts per game. Yes, I saw this. And yeah. immediately what that said to me, and I replied to this, is this is a team that does not, like, doesn't impose its will by running the ball like when they had derrick henry they were like hey we're running the ball and you got to defend it when you only run the ball when it's advantageous to you that equates to a bunch of i hate to say bad bryce young reps but the default answer is bryce young is throwing the football and if they see something then they run the football it's a great point and and i think it's it's difficult from a play calling standpoint if you have a player of bryce young's caliber Mm-hmm. the temptation to throw the ball every single time is there. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't it be? I mean, he's a magician and you always know that he can bail you out of a bad call. And even if <laughs> a defense has something defended perfectly, you can still bet on him to be able to make a play last for you know six, seven seconds. Somebody's going to find a way to get open. All right, boom, play works, move the chains and keep on trucking. But to me, this isn't about wanting to take the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. Like that's not Mm -hmm. to me why this shift is necessary and why this game would be a good time to make that transition. It's more about not wanting to give the ball to your receivers and wanting to give the ball more to the likes of Jameer Gibbs, Jace McClellan and Wardell Williams, who (laughs) look, they've all been, they've all been pretty solid. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is is different. He's going to get touches no matter what, but for him to get 20 carries in a game, We've seen that in stretches, but we've seen it in stretches when Jalen Milrose out there, not mm-hmm. when Bryce Young is and out when there. Alabama, like I hate to use a basketball term, but like needs to get a bucket. Like when you see that, like just knife through butter drive they had against it. LSU, yeah. it was all Gibbs. I was like, oh gosh, Bill O'Brien found Gibbs. This is bad. He's not going to forget Gibbs exists. <laughs> That's probably part of the reason Brian Kelly went for two. He's like, oh god, he remembered Gibbs was on the roster. <laughs> yep, exactly. I didn't realize the A and M game that Bryce Young didn't. He he was injured for. That was Bama's most rushing attempts in a game since 2017 Tennessee. 
Oh, that boy. was Jalen Hurts as a starter. I mean, that's how long it had been since Bama really ran the ball like that. You knew that was going to be kind of the plan with, with Milrow and what he does best. The only other time that Bama ran the ball 50-plus times in a game in that stretch was last year against Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So maybe Bill O'Brien sees my tweet. Maybe he listens to this pod. I assume he listens to every pod. He downloads. He subscribes. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't he? Of course. Bill O'Brien, famous listener. Yeah. He's either going to listen to this or he's going to listen to Bama fans who probably shout at him every time he's in public. I was about to say, he's put on earmuffs since that game. (laughs) If he started listening, it would go badly. I don't blame him. Um, I'm hedging a little on this one. I'm going to pick Bama to win by 10, which means that Ole Miss covers plus 11 and a half. And I see this once again being a one score game in the fourth quarter. Each of Bama's last five true road games have been a one score game in the fourth quarter. Seven of eight true road games with Bryce Young as a starter that Alabama has been in a one score game in the fourth quarter. And Oh, by the way, all those games with Bill O'Brien as the offensive play caller. Am I maybe joining the anti Bill O'Brien crowd? Is that, is that what's happening here? Stick with me, buddy. We'll go there together. (laughs) Lord knows there might not be a whole lot of room left on that bandwagon. It's, it's crowded. It's real crowded. If this is a giant, if I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, if Bama suffered loss number three, and it was to Kiffin, you know what that means. You know what that means. Mm-hmm. Get Kiffin in these doors in Tuscaloosa. Saban is no, I'm kidding. But there are there are some who will be very. <laughs> I've seen that. those tweets, and those tweets are hilarious. That. Like yeah. we got to give him ten million dollars and tell him he's the coach in waiting, and have a secret backroom manager. Yep. Like, come on, bro. Like, Make him really... the offensive coordinator. Pay him five million bucks. It's like he's making seven million at Ole Miss right now. <laughs> right. Come on, bro. <laughs> take his take your old job back, and here here's a demotion for you. You're totally the coach in waiting. Yes, you have a chance to win the SEC at the end of the year at Ole Miss, but you really want to be the offensive coordinator and help Alabama. That's what you want. Clearly, this is what you've been holding out for, obviously. Yeah. But if that happens, it'd be the third Saban disciple to beat him in the last 13 months after Mm -hmm. none did that in the previous 14 years at Bama. Just something something to keep in mind. And I really do think this would fuel the discussion about Bama this year. If Bama were to lose this game, three regular season losses, think about that. That would put Bama in the category of most disappointing teams of the playoff era. I do. And, and disappointment's relative, right? Like, you know, if, you, if you're a preseason top 10 team and then you don't make it to a bowl game, all right, that, that's relative. But this this is like as lock solid as it gets. This is the program that has been to a national championship six of the last seven years. I mean, money in the bank and to not even have a chance at a division title in mid-November. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. Man, like, because LSU's one win away from clinching that, by the way. They, they win either one of these next two games. They would, okay, they would block out Bama, but obviously Ole Miss still. If Ole Miss wins, yeah. then they basically have to win it because they have the same. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, just something to keep in mind. Three regular season losses would be stunning. Stunning. 2010 feels like such an outlier for Alabama. And this maybe over the course of history would be, and maybe it would be the the moment that kind of kicked Bama back into gear. And who knows, maybe they're, they do have that, that one one extra chapter of the the Saban legacy left to write. Who knows? We'll see. Interesting game ahead, though. Very interesting. Yeah, I think this game is super interesting um, for a lot of reasons. And you hit on it. You know, it's 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 <clears throat> trying to think about how to say this. So 
The vibe with Bama and Bama fans and the way that the media has covered them has been very interesting because it's like there's an unsureness to pivot away from this team and be like, because it basically the discussion around Bama, whenever they're not contending, is always, we got to burn everything down, we got to change everything, but there's still games left to go. So I would caution against that for a guy like Nick Saban, where it's like, well, he's never just going to be like, all right, you guys are right, we're rolling out, we're packing it in this year, we're going to have four losses, it doesn't matter. Um, I will say this, you know, there's a very powerful motivating force in this world, and that is when you start to mess with a man's money or his job. Mm. And I think it's fair to say that both Alabama coordinators are in danger of losing their job and their yep. money. So yep. Nick Saban can be disappointed in everyone and throw his hands up and say, oh, well, you know, if you guys don't want to win, that's fine. I'll let you guys take care of it. But these two coordinators don't have that luxury. And I think that Golding and Bill O'Brien, maybe one is gone, maybe they're both gone, but there is a chance they both stay. And that chance comes down to these last couple of games. Because if they go through and they say, hey, look, guys, you know, we had a one-point loss to LSU. We barely lost to Tennessee. Yeah, the offense didn't look great. Yeah, the defense didn't look great. But we're building something here. We'll get new recruits in. We'll figure it out. Whatever. Um, I think that it's easy to sell yourself that when you have your guys that you believe in the way that Saban does. So I do think this is going to be a little bit of a bounce-back game for Saban. Not a cupcake game. But I think that if you are Saban and you look around to your point – Brian Kelly was a guy who could never beat you. Jimbo was a guy who could never beat you. Kirby was a guy who could never beat you. Lane Kiffin's that next guy. He's the next guy on the list that can't beat Nick Saban. I've said it before. And I think that if you're Nick Saban or you're this team and you're as competitive as these guys in that locker room have shown that they are, because that's the thing. They've been given kind of a broken playbook and they're still fighting their tails off. It's not like there's a lack of want to win. It's that they don't. They can't match up with the with the way things are being coached for them. So point being, I actually think Alabama controls this game. I think that going on the road, they finally figure it out. And I think that this lane, this um, Ole Miss team has kind of shown, you know, their biggest win at this point, I guess, uh, was a Kentucky win, right? Yeah, at this point, that's their only win against the current top 25 team. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So Kentucky has obviously kind of fallen off since then. And at, at the time, it felt like a big game and it was a very close game. But I think that whenever Ole Miss has had to play – a kind of good team. They almost lost to a Kentucky team that we've seen is not great this year. They never found their identity. They obviously got blown out against LSU. So I just don't think this Ole Miss team is talented enough to, and I know that Alabama has struggled with a lot of teams on the road. I get that, but you got to think that was that the defense um, under basically Gus, his players for Auburn. Those, that was a talented defense. We've seen that defense play well, um, you know, with those players, LSU, always a talented program. Texas that's a little bit different, whatever. But I, I think that this is a game that Alabama can impose their will and they're not, you're going to see where Nick Saban's at in this game, because this is a game that if they put their foot in the gas. They can blow a miss out. Even if we were talking about this game before the LSU game, they could, we could have easily seen that happen. But I think that if Saban does the old, like, okay, you guys got it. You all don't want to win. We'll be able to see that very early. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I think that, you know, these are, these are strange circumstances. They are. Mm-hmm. And it's fair to it's fair to kind of question what exactly we're going to get because we're not used to talking about Alabama in this way at this point in the season. We're just mm-hmm. not. And if this is a game in which Alabama comes out, looks like, okay, this is the team that we've been kind of waiting to see. 2015 Ohio State kind of had that. Where 2015 mm-hmm. Ohio State mm-hmm. came in as the unanimous preseason number one. They lose that game to Michigan State in which it's like, oh my God. So they're really not going to do it. And this team that just looked like it played anxious and it played down to its competition all year instead mm-hmm. of doing that impose your will that we had come to expect from them based on the previous season of the way that 2014 obviously finished for Ohio State. I wonder if Alabama flips it into that gear because we saw 2015 Ohio State when they went on the road in that game against Michigan and 
then they had the bowl game against Notre Dame. It was yeah. over. It was <laughs> all she wrote. And I wonder if Bama now with, you know, people are going to roll their eyes when they hear this, but like the anxiety is, is off. And people mm-hmm. hate on Will Anderson for saying that, even though we've been bringing up all these stats about the preseason AP number one and how difficult it is in this sport sometimes to hear for eight months, you're going to win a national title. You're going to win a national title. Don't lose a game. You're going to win a national title. In no other sport is there this reality, is there this world that you have to be perfect in that sort of way. And especially with 18 to 22-year-old kids, it's just mm-hmm. a really difficult thing. And I wonder if that shift in mindset helps Alabama finish the season stronger than we've given them credit for. And maybe it's not so much treated like a bowl game that they don't care about, but if they lose, that's what we'll say. Of course. Yeah. And and to me, penalties are like a half and half thing, right? Penalties are either something that is on the coaches, you know, I'm talking about uh, false starts, procedural penalties, stuff like that, uh, not getting a snap off. To me, that's often on the coaches. Then you have the other part of penalties, which is often just guys trying too hard. And to your point, Alabama, you could attribute some of that to not really trusting your coaches, trying to make a play, you know, and that's where not to excuse this stuff, but that's where you get a little bit of PI, a little bit of targeting, that type of stuff starts to happen because it's like, Oh crap, I got to make a play. And so to your point, yeah, I think that this could be a team that plays relaxed and could be a little bit scary. Um, Whereas like on the other end of it, I think that Ole Miss is kind of like, I think that they're in too good of a position, if that makes sense. Like, I think that all the stars are starting to align for Nick Saban to lose, and those are never the games he loses. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. The Bama penalties thing, by the way, um, Bama has had either 10 penalties called on them or at least 82 penalty yards in all but one of their true road games since the start of 2021. And the Jeez. one the one that they didn't have that happen, the the blowout at Mississippi State last year. Mm-hmm. not a surprise that's when you're playing behind the sticks and you're giving away yards and stuff like that like that's that's why this adds up that's why it always feels like it's so difficult on Bryce Young that's why it doesn't feel like this this defense that can get off the field in the same way that it wants but yes I'm very interested to see the way that things play out Saturday 3 30 on CBS okay. I will say one more thing really quick sorry Tennessee fans welcome to us both rooting for Alabama buddy because we need that quality win <laughs> sit down I'll make you some gumbo and we'll just hate ourselves for like three or four hours and we'll just get through it because we need Alabama for that quality win buddy if they lose a third game everyone's immediately gonna be like this is a bad Alabama team it doesn't count <laughs> good point yeah held in a much different regard if Bama has at least got a chance at New Year's Six Bowl or something like that mm-hmm. on selection Sunday Bandy Kentucky. Kentucky's number 24 in the country. They're 17 and a half point favorites. The over-under I have is three Vandy sacks. Hey, Will Levis has taken at least three sacks in all but one game that he's been out there for. And I guess the game that he was out, Kaya Sharon got sacked more than three times. So we could say Kentucky has allowed at least three sacks in all but one game this year. Don't, don't you know it though? The one game that he didn't, Mississippi State, when he's coming off of the toe injury, and that probably hmm. would have been a really good time to sack Will Levis, we will not put that in our why we love Zach Arnett file, but just mm-hmm. an interesting point to bring up. The something's got to give stat is that no power five team has allowed more sacks than Kentucky. But, but Vandy, 114th in the country, with just 13 sacks in nine games. Now they've been passed by Georgia in a single game. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, it's bad. Levis's mobility is. <sighs> It's clearly not at the level that he wants it to be at. It's surprising to see this late in the season how his rushing yards, he's like negative in the negative 100s in his, in his total rushing yards, which that was supposed to be a big part of his game this year. Um, the problem is that he's also not afraid to hold on to the ball and take hits. And with an offensive line that's as bad as Kentucky's is, that – 
that is how Kentucky has a tendency to play down to inferior competition instead of kind of imposing their will. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to be a huge game for Dinky. And I think he's the one that kind of lights up this very, very bad Vandy pass defense. I think Dinky is starting to look like a future stud, kind of Mm -hmm. exactly what Kentucky fans have been hoping for. The homegrown guy who's able to thrive in this new modern system. He kind of fits that build in a different way that Wandale did, of course, because he was a one and done. And even Tavion Robinson, who figures to be a one and done as well. But it's tough sometimes when these these true freshmen are like, like they're split out wide and they're asked to get separation against SEC defensive backs. I, I don't know though that we can call Vandy's defensive backfield SEC level. They right? are scholar athletes, Connor. They are. They have two yards that's separating them from the mighty Ohio Bobcats defense. Yeah. Joe Burrow's dad being felt every day. Without him, that team is useless at playing defense. Of course. Uh, shout out Frank Solich. How long has he been retired? He's been retired for a little bit now. Oh, mm-hmm. I always forget that, though. I would expect Kentucky to run a lot of the screen, horizontal stuff. Rich Gangarello, good opportunity for you to be able to get a whole lot of those yards after catch, not really get a whole lot of credit for the downfield stuff. But I think Kentucky mm-hmm. is able to to put Vandy on its heels, get a lot of those looks that they want in space. I'm going really favorite heavy this week. That's kind of a teaser for later. But I think Kentucky has that exhale in the passing game that it's been waiting for. Probably going to miss a couple of kicks. Don't think they can punt the ball if they wanted to because Colin Goodfellow, after the roughing the kicker, he's out for the year. Hated for that kid because he made an incredible play in that spot. That play sucked all around at every single level. Mm -hmm. All the more reason, though, for Kentucky to want to convert third downs. Don't have a punter. So, I mean, they, they probably do, but... Not one that I know or cared to look up. I just felt like talking about that injury and how weird it was. <laughs> Gosh, man, Stoops versus Vandy with no punter might be sicko material. I'm not quite there because Vandy's pretty sorry. And I would like to think that even this Kentucky team can kind of push them around. But, buddy, Vandy gets going early. And Mark Stoops is not a punter. It could be a fun scene. <laughs> the over-under should have been Will Levis punts at point five. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the ultimate cherry on the Will Levis development experience if they were yes. just like, oh, so you're playing punter now. And the line's the same on specialty. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger used to punt all the time. Will yeah, Levis? He did? Good call like Big Ben. Yeah, yeah. totally the same. Um, just on the field. We're not talking off the field stuff. Will Levis, much better human being. Um, but anyways, I think Kentucky will roll in this game. I think they cover that spread. Tennessee would love it if Kentucky would roll in this game. Maybe, you know, Kentucky could kind of put up a good fight against Georgia. Kentucky goes into selection Sunday, sitting there at eight and four with a top 25 spot. Maybe make that Tennessee one loss resume look a little bit better. Just saying something to keep in mind. We're presenting all angles on this podcast. So that's what we do. Every rooting interest needs to be discussed. And there are many going into this weekend. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. South Carolina, Florida. Florida is an eight-point favorite. The over-under I have one Anthony Richardson interception. Will, you're going to love this. Oh, boy. Ever since that awful pick against Mizzou, played in that game. Anthony Richardson, I think he's looked pretty solid. I do. I think the last three games been kind of the turn the corner type stuff that you've wanted to see from him. That was the last pick that he threw. 90 mm-hmm. consecutive passes without an interception. Easily the longest streak of his career. Easily. Mm-hmm. Will, what do you think the previous longest streak of Anthony Richardson's career was without an interception? Oh, God. Yeah, he was committing turnovers against like USF when he was a freshman. So I'm going to say like 20 or 30 attempts. 28. Good guess. Boom. There we go. Yep. 
Um, oh, wait, no, I looked at that wrong. It's 48. It's 48. My bad. Wow. But, never mind. All right. Yeah, I'm wrong, actually. I guess. We're both um, wrong. Let's go. <laughs> we're both wrong. I literally got my own stat wrong. Yeah. 48. And it was basically after the pick six against Georgia last year, up until the the pick that he had against Kentucky early in the year. So it was kind of like last year into this year. So I don't really know okay. if you want to count that as well. So it's probably like 20 or 30 if we just do within a season. But I think quietly, Anthony Richardson is starting to look like the guy who's figuring things out. And that's important in a game like this, wherein you don't want him to throw three interceptions and have a home loss to South Carolina. He had a touchdown pass in that AM game where Florida's in the red zone and he's got pressure rushing off of the edge both sides. And you know as a fan when you see your quarterback in that spot of what goes through your head of how this is going to play out, like – you, you fear the worst. If it's a guy who's had struggles like Anthony Richardson has, then you see, okay, he's going to maybe force an early throw that basically has no chance of being caught, at least by one of his guys, maybe by an opposing player. Or he's going to maybe try to run away from front side pressure and the backside pressure is going to get to him and it's going to be a fumble in the red zone. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is why we can't have nice things. What a terrible <laughs> play. And instead, in this play, Anthony Richardson steps up in the pocket. He fires a dart into the end zone for six, kind of an off-balance throw. Nice, nice, mature play. And it was great awareness. If you saw the reverse camera view on it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't think South Carolina has faced a quarterback quite like Richardson, who looked like he was fully mobile against AM last week. They missed mm-hmm. out on facing Will Levis, who was probably banged, would have been banged up anyways. I don't think Stetson Bennett is quite as mobile as Anthony Richardson. We can say that. Connor Wigman, Haynes King, and eh, no, Brady Cook. Um, he was not like Mike. We'll say that. <laughs> he was himself that day, sadly. <laughs> he was himself that day. Um, but he was himself in a winning record in a in a winning effort. So I guess that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Gamecocks sort of struggled to contain Anthony Richardson. If Florida is going to pressure Spencer Rattler like they did Haynes King, I think Florida wins by two touchdowns. I do. They're still playing. That defensive line is still getting after it, whether that was because they saw a very depleted AM offensive line or it was because they're figuring some things out, even without Brenton Cox on the team. Eh, we'll see. Maybe a little bit of both. Hopefully Marshawn Lloyd is back and looking like Marshawn Lloyd, or I guess for Marcus Satterfield, that doesn't really matter. He could just use Jaheim Bell as his running back, and he could just pretend that he is Marshawn Lloyd, even though he's not. I'm going to pick Florida to win and cover, which I didn't think I would earlier in the week. But I think Florida is going to show some really promising signs down the stretch with Billy Napier. Win clinches bowl eligibility. Last home game of the season for Florida. I think they have that path to eight to nine wins, which is kind of crazy. But I think that starts with getting a win against South Carolina. I've been thinking about picking South Carolina this whole time, and I just need to be talked off the ledge. Um, well, let me ask you this question. Do you think that in a measurable way, South Carolina's offense has like figured out how to play the good players? No, no, See. I don't. I, that's <laughs> that's South Carolina fans. They agree with me. The fire sat tweets constant. You can't watch South Carolina game without seeing all of them. All right. <laughs> I just, they had the one that they had kind of gotten some guys involved. Like we had talked about who we wanted to see. They were doing the opposite of that. Then I believe it was their last game um, that they Vandy. had like fight. What's up? This is Vandy. It's, it's it was a get Vandy. right game. There get you right go. Game yeah, that's, see, that's game. a get right game. Ah. Okay. So, you know what? Whatever, man. Nope. Listen, I, I'm, I'll still pick South Carolina. I think that 
Their defense has been better than Florida's this year, and their offense is actually just one point one point per game worse, which is insane when you think about it. That's because of special team scores. You got to look. Oh, the weakness. You're right. No, that's actually a really good point. So the offense itself, you know, see, this is why you are a big proponent of uh, get rid of the special teams touchdowns because they've tricked me and the um, defensive touchdowns. You get rid of okay. those as well. You know what? Yeah. You've talked me off the ledge. That that was another key. So if they're not using offensive personnel correctly, if they're if their offenses are not on kind of similar planes and the defense is better for South Carolina, then obviously special teams can be better for South Carolina because that's what they got going on for them. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of my thing. Because I was like, dang, Florida's defense is kind of sus. I don't like what I saw of Florida last week. Still, I mean, it was a game that I picked Florida in, and then. A&M got the flu and I yeah. literally was just like, oh, this is easy money. Let's go. I was like fired up and it still took them a while, a while to kind of pull away. Uh, I do think South Carolina will be a, a hard out though, for sure. I think that given how this team plays, given how they've kind of been up and down and you know that everyone, every game counts for them because their schedule is so hard. I do think this is an opportunity. I hope, well, how about this? We will root for a 60 minute football game that I think Florida will ultimately pull off, but it wouldn't shock me if South Carolina was right there at the end. Florida has been, Pretty disappointing at home since that mm-hmm. Utah game. Pretty disappointing. I don't really count. Want to count Eastern Washington? I don't think that's fair. But I, I think to close out the the home slate to get a win like this, I just I, I feel like Florida fans are going to be feeling good about Billy Napier after this game and feeling like, all right, that was the last home game we're going to see this year. But but good, we're we're taking that step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And when Anthony Richardson doesn't make those mistakes. They are just a much better team. They really are. And I don't think that happens in this one. And I think they're able to kind of flex a little bit and kind of put South Carolina back on that, you know, because in the preseason, we're talking about, you know, South Carolina's fourth and Florida's fifth. And that that was mm-hmm. that was my projection. And this maybe serves as a little bit of a reminder of like, oh, Florida's Florida's still got those dudes. They might not have depth, but they do have some dudes and they can still make this a long day for South Carolina in the swamp. All right. Hey, somehow South Carolina is now third in the East and Florida is fifth. So not necessarily wrong. True. All right. Somehow fair. they are third of the as we sit here. This is like South Carolina has impressed us. They've impressed me at least. Just, just got to give them credit because they've had some really gritty ones this year. They have. They, they absolutely have. But I, I, I think to to say that the offense has been a disappointment is perfect. Oh fair. yeah. I mean, if they were playing mid offense, this could be like an eight win team, which yeah. is crazy considering that like they've had to do with all this crap. So yeah, no, it's again classic South Carolina. We're proud of them. They could do a little better. Yes, always. Number one, Georgia. Somehow, number one, Georgia. It couldn't be me putting them <laughs> in number one. Country, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. They are 16 and a half point favorites on the road against Mississippi State. The over-under I have is one Mississippi State touchdown in the first 55 minutes. Yeah. Remember. Sounds right. That's what Georgia held Tennessee to. Um, oh, that's actually. what Mississippi State did against Alabama. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to bring up. And, and technically, Tennessee didn't have a touchdown in the first 55 minutes that came, you know, four and a half minutes left. Um, maybe, maybe it should be zero touchdowns in the first 55 minutes. We know Mississippi State under Mike Leach has yet to score a touchdown in the first 59 minutes of any game that it has played against Alabama. So Mike Leach. I assume we'll be making all these adjustments and he's going to realize, ah, I guess these elite defenses uh, might need to change it up a little bit. Probably shouldn't throw the ball 60 times. He is the picture perfect model of self accountability. Of course, if you missed this quote from his post game presser, this came courtesy of John Sokoloff. I definitely butchered John's name. Apologies to John. No, you're listening. So Leach said, quote, instead of playing hard, you want to sit behind a shade tree Eat a fish sandwich, drink a lemonade with your fat little girlfriend. We shot for that too often. Close quote. I'm just going to say it. 
Sometimes Mike Leach just kind of sucks. Yeah. He got thoroughly outcoached by a dude in his first career game, not as a position coach, Cadillac Williams. We respect Cadillac mm-hmm. on this podcast. Oh, yes. And even, you know, even those Leach who refused to run the ball against an Auburn defense that was as tough as one-ply toilet paper. Yeah, totally your players just being lazy. And that's the reason that you almost blew that game. And also miss me on Leach saying, quote, fat little girlfriend. Leach is fat, all right? Not here to body shame, but something about that just doesn't sit right. <laughs> if I'm a player on Mississippi State, I'm thinking – Instead of actually scheming, you want to sit on your headset, remove chairs that you're convinced are preventing us from playing well, and just call the same plays that you've been calling for 20 years. That's like one of those action buttons in a video game. It's like it's like the decision. It's like call different plays, remove chairs, X. That pissed me off, man. That pissed me off. I would not like hearing that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm going to go post a cryptic message on social media, just throwing my head coach under the bus, saying maybe I'm going to enter the transfer portal. But I would think long and hard about if this is the dude that I want to sign up to play for. I really mm-hmm. would. I thought that kind of sucked. And I'm like, we're, we're sitting here talking about this on the Sunday pod of how obvious it was that you should have run the football more. And mm-hmm. instead, you're blaming everybody else. And I can't stand it. As you learned from listening to me on this very podcast the other day, after I'm like, all right, look, I beefed up. I said Georgia wasn't going to win that football game. You got to own it sometimes. You got to own it. And Leach just never owns it ever. Georgia should tee off on a one-dimensional offense. Should. Mm -hmm. Wait, hold on. Quick, quick, fat little girlfriends thing. So I found this quote. I was uh, playing online video games with my friends and I found it on my Twitter feed. And I just, we were between games. So I decided to just kind of do a deep dive. You know, he just says that. Like he, he said just it says at, it. Yeah, he yeah, said it at Texas Tech. Like he said it at Texas Tech. He said it at Washington State. That's the most chaotic thing about that quote is that he didn't offhandedly say it. It is a tactic he employs. And it's like the word chaotic is not quite severe enough for what that is because it's like, I know I'm going to say this. It's going to upset everyone. And as the years goes on, as a guy who has had issues with this type of thing, it's going to get worse every time I do it. But I'm just going to keep doing it because that's me. That is it, insane lack of or complete self-awareness which is the scariest part yeah just show up on monday be like all right i'm gonna actually go eat a fish sandwich drink some lemonade with my six foot three supermodel girlfriend uh have a nice practice coach right. <laughs> that's what i would do if i was a mississippi girlfriend. state player just make a pick collage of everybody's girlfriend and be like hey who you calling fat bro which one get point them out <laughs> get out of here man it's more it's more just about the tone like god just no accountability at all did not that's, like that. yeah that's disrespectful we don't tolerate that especially in the yeah. south disrespecting women not cool man don't do that anyway break i don't think georgia missed a tackle against tennessee i don't and I, leach's <laughs> offense is predicated on guys missing tackles in space <laughs> to be able to move the chains I don't think that happens unless Georgia is just totally not up for a big game, but I'm going to roll with Kirby smart who hasn't lost a regular season game in over two years instead of Mike Leach, AKA the guy who is convinced that he nearly blew a 21 point lead at home against a three win team with an interim coach because of guys wanting to chill with their fat little girlfriends, dogs and sitting on chairs. Yeah. Oh, and sitting on chairs. Right. Why was this game bad? Certainly not me chairs, obese girlfriends. Of course. Chairs are just woke, all right? Just get out of here with that. I don't want to hear this chair conspiracy slowing down our football team. Um, Yeah, so going back to the Georgia thing, right? Again, in the preseason, you have to pick a team that could slow Georgia down. 
Some people, and I believe Emory Picker, the lad, was one of them, was thinking about Mississippi State. And the entire time, I was, I was saying okay that, well, listen, I was always against that one because okay. the conversations that we've had on this podcast about how great Georgia is at tackling. And that's something that they've never, I mean, Kirby Smart, through the history of his coaching, has always been hard-nosed coach, fundamentals, tackling. And to your point, you got to miss tackles for this offense to beat better competition yeah and so i think you know even alabama that has had a pretty sus defense was not up there missing tackles against mississippi state they were making leach go for it on fourth down back when he was on the date mike vibe of running the ball he was still trying to do that it was not working in that game it's a point being like if you can't move the football against this alabama team i cannot assume anything against georgia you should not i hate to say this you should not come off the bus against georgia if you can't move the football against alabama because that defense is just night and day better and i think that uh, we've talked about you know josh heupel being part of the leech tree again i don't want to repeat myself here but he played for um leech and they've always kind of been at uh similar but the vertical dimension is what made tennessee much more believable where you shut down the vertical dimension of tennessee with a better quarterback and better receivers now you have an offense that is kind of a relic of the past without that vertical dimension without that rushing attack with small that we've seen be effective for Tennessee and you shut down all that for Tennessee so personally I think this is going to be a beat down that I've been saying all season and I love Mike Leach and I love Zach Arnett but this is not the style of team you're supposed to be able to beat with this offense and, and to be fair I was more pointing to like oh who could slow Georgia down I was more saying I think the Mississippi State defense is actually mm-hmm. going to be able to be like all right you know Georgia offense let's this is a good battle this is not right. necessarily a game in which I would assume oh Georgia's going to win this game by by 40 points and they're going to you know 42 to 7 or something like that but then right. kind of the more you think about it and as we bring up these points about tackling in space and how important that is to be able to stop this leech offense yes Georgia wins big Georgia wins big real big and I'm not just saying that because of the way last week played out maybe a little bit <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's vibes, right? I hate to say it, but it's like, from what you saw out of all this, almost losing to Auburn, and boy, that Iron Bowl is going to be fun in it because those boys are believing in Cadillac. But what we saw against Auburn, against an Auburn team that's been dead in the water all week, if you come out with that type of energy they had the second half against Georgia, buddy, again, go home. Yep. <laughs> no reason for you to be in the stadium. None. Absolutely none. Okay, let's talk about that Auburn team. They are two-point favorites at home against Texas A&M. The over-under I have is two-and-a-half references to bowl elimination. It was a bowl elimination game, Will. We got two teams sitting at three and six. This is a sickos committee game. Very much. Big time. Loser will not go to a bowl game, and the winner will probably not go to a bowl game, but it can at least kind of keep that dream alive heading into the regular (laughs) season finale, which seems important for a pair of teams who will face the likes of LSU and Alabama in the regular season finale. So maybe Mm -hmm. significant, maybe, who knows? I am not going to speculate how healthy AM will be. <laughs> I'm not swinging a miss, swinging a miss on that last week. Okay. But they just like guard all their, because they had something like this happening in Florida the first time, I feel. They just had like kind of COVID running rampant. Like they're really weird about information because they canceled the bowl game like this too. Like, yeah, like oh, by the way, we're all sick. Goodbye. Like it was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like it's actually kind of been a thing with AM. So I'm going to assume that they're going to be kind of full strength or at least somewhat. I don't know. We apparently know that Connor Wigman is going to be QB1 for this game. He is back. He is healthy. Hopefully he's going to be able to be out there for an entire game. Here's something interesting. Assuming that Wigman starts this game and he's not like sick at the last minute or something like that, then I would assume he's also starting the next two because that's what Jimbo Fisher has said, that he's QB1 for the rest of the year. The longest consecutive streaks at AM is at the same starting quarterback. It'll be three games. 
That's that's it this year. Mm-hmm. Max Johnson did it earlier. He didn't even finish the third start because he got hurt in that game against Mississippi State. Wigman mm-hmm. is now trying to do that for AM. And that's also assuming that Derek Hall doesn't just break Connor Wigman in half against an AM offensive line that is totally depleted. Add that one to the Jimbo Fisher spin zone file. It's growing by the mm-hmm. day. I, he'll say the offense was a disaster because they just couldn't keep quarterbacks healthy. He'll disregard the fact that his QB one was benched after losing to App State in week two. But you already know the Jimbo spin zones from listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think this will set up really well for Auburn. I do. I really do. I'm excited to see how different the energy is at Jordan Hare with Cadillac coaching because mm-hmm. we just talked about it. On that sideline, it was significantly different with him in that game last week at Starkville. And it was evident that that team was believing in him and his overall message was as clear as day. I loved his comment afterwards about how he was more encouraged to lose and fight that way in a battle Mm -hmm. back than to win and see some of those same things kind of happening that happened while Harson was there. He didn't say while Harson was there, but obviously that's what he meant. But there's facts. And we love when coaches like that call a spade a spade because that's facts. If you watch the second half of an Auburn game this year, you were disgusted, specifically the Mizzou game. Oh, God. So bad that uh, disgusted is not a, a strong enough word. Revolted, maybe. Revolted. Thinking about our lives and why we do this. <laughs> yeah, this was a. Oh God, I've, I've got to get hobbies or something. This is not worth it at this point. Uh, I don't know that guys are playing for Jimbo Fisher. I don't. <laughs> These were the two worst Power Five rushing attacks in October, in terms of defending the run. Defending the run. Okay, I was going to say if they messed that up with HA, that would be a tough scene. No, um, this is the dudes who deserve better starting running backs to Bonnie Chain, Tank Bigsby against oh, these uh, look bad running running defenses. This should be a big day for both of them. One would think mm-hmm. I will take Tank to have a bigger day. I will. I just will. I think Cadillac gets his homecoming. I think he keeps Auburn's bowl hopes alive. I think they get a high scoring game in which we're like, ah, defensively, this is not anything to write home about. I think Auburn wins 35-31. And AM falls to three and seven. Ooh. Three and seven. You know, as as deep as my slander could possibly be, three and seven was just not in the cards. Nope. Um, nope, it wasn't. To be honest. I, and again, probably just should have been meaner. That was my fault. I gave them too much credit. Um, I'm gonna stop that now. I think Alvin wins this game. To your point, I think that I think that this hopefully is um, you know, a great uh highlight reel game for our boys, Paul and Tank lads guys that we love and have have really just had to deal with it all this year and hopefully this is the first clip you're going to see when they get drafted it's going to be them just sacking AM, running for 50 yards in a clip at AM. that would be amazing um not to you know not to just go against you know like poo poo on AM, but yeah like i said they, they, they've kind of made their bed at this point we don't know how healthy they are the quarterback thing is funny and i think at this point you know whenever whenever jimbo got there you know they had kellen mond and that was a guy that we didn't realize how effective he was at the time i think because you look back and he was a starter for what four years or three so he was he was a starter off and on his true freshman season when he right. clearly was not ready. That's before Jimbo gets there. Right. Zach Calzada looked like he was going to be the guy. And then it was kind of a surprise that Kelman mm-hmm. won the job out of camp. And I thought early on, Kelman looked really good. And he had three years with Jimbo, how much he actually 
developed into a true like dude take over a game i he was inconsistent with that he was a very polarizing subject but right but but, but but imagine that conversation we were like oh kellen mond like can't get it done da, da, da. it's like actually it seems like jimbo was holding him back and without kellen mond not that i think kellen mond's a great player i don't think I, i'm not trying to spin this as he's johnny Manziel or anything but he was consistent he was the same player more or less every week and he had some good games and some bad games as all quarterbacks do but it's funny to see once you remove that element from the jimbo offense that consistency not the player but the consistency how crazy it's been because like we did the whole thing on the last spot about like the whole how do we start here with Haynes King and get all the way back to Haynes yeah. King and then now we're at Wigman and I guess he's healthy now so he's playing so point being yeah this this offense just kind of isn't it and hopefully you know they get a play caller in there um I luckily don't think he'll be a Shanahan guy because that was 20 years after he stopped caring and so point being, <laughs> so point being I just think that like Auburn is going up a&M is coming down. I do think AM fought hard last week. I don't want to undersell that. Like on, on Saturday, I mean, but yeah, I think that Cadillac is, I don't necessarily think he's auditioning for the job. We've talked about that. I think they probably need to go get a huge, like well-known guy after they've tried kind of unconventional guy. Um, but I think that he belongs on the staff. You see how guys are playing for him, how it's a night and day difference. And it's all about juice. When you have two teams that are kind of both, I hate to say free falling, Auburn has steadied the ship and AM is looking like a, um, what would I call it? They they had like just a hospital ward going on last game out of nowhere. That dropped morning of, which is like classic. It's like I want to like your team, AM fans. But when you do stuff like that, when you have a flu outbreak across campus and we in the media, not we, you in the media don't hear about that until day of. It's like you're not giving me you covered up the quarterback thing, you covered up the sickness thing. I know that we're all conspiracy theories, and that's why you're three and seven, but you need to just be cool sometimes for me to like you. And we'll talk about that with Tom Hart too, the, the kind of ambiguity that that he had to deal with with Jimbo Fisher with the production meeting and just kind of that whole weird thing where he, where he bailed on that it was just kind of a, a very strange situation but yeah i think i think a&m falls to three and seven the inverse of that is lock of the week seven oh, yeah. and three let's oh, go yeah. see you got the guys together you call the timeout you put in the mental cadillac williams you're rolling indiana was my get right game mm-hmm. that's what it was seven and three seven of my last eight thank you tcu for again covering by Half a point, second consecutive week in which I've had a half point cover in lock of the week. So what do I do? I'm going back to my Utes. Not going back to my youth. Going back to my Utes. Mm-hmm. They're my Utes still. They are a 24 point home favorite against Stanford. I know that's a lot. Stanford is also hot garbage. They're Poor three Stanford. and six on the year. They're bad. Throw back, bro. If you guys want to have something blow your mind, go look back at that 2010 Stanford team. That team was like one of the most underrated. I was looking at this the other day. How far Stanford has fallen. They had Jim Harbaugh, Vic Fangio, Derek Mason. They had Andrew Luck, Zach Ertz. Like you look up and down that team and they were mind blowing. And it's crazy to think how far they've fallen because that was seriously a like a great team for like five, six years. And now they're just terrible. 2015. I mean, 2015, Rosemary yeah. McCaffrey was incredible. Yeah. They have really, they have really fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, would not be surprised if that's the next head coach to be fired, David Shaw. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're bad. They just got trucked by Washington State last week. It was, it was like fifty-two to fourteen, losing to Washington State at home. Like, come on, lost by twenty-five. UCLA the week before that. Utah's a bad team to play if you don't want to be there. Bad team for that. Really are the physicality, yeah. the the ground game that they have, very versatile rushing attack that they've had this year. That defense. I know I took a lot of heat for that playoff pick. I did, but I, Utah's still a legit top fifteen team that has a path to a Rose Bowl in November. I, I, I'm still a believer in them. I watch them every single week, and I'm just like, God, I love I love Cam Rising. I just do. Mm-hmm. 
He's like the guy that you just like you want in your corner. I, t- I talk about Cam Rising in the same way that I talk about KJ sometimes. Where I'm just like, that's just a dude that you just feel like, all right, in that spot, you can you can put the ball in his hands and, and you feel like you can trust him and you know that he's gonna that he's gonna do everything in his physical limitations. If he's gonna dive for a first down, like that's <laughs> that you're never gonna question that with him. And yeah, I'm still a Utah believer, clearly. But if you're gonna give me crap for a playoff pick, give me crap for Oklahoma, not Utah. Okay. <laughs> Come on now. I think the L for Oklahoma, not for Utah. Utah's still a good team. They just they would have, they would still have playoff life. They had just not thrown a pick in that game against Florida, but nonetheless, here they are. Yeah, I, I've been a Utah believer, and I feel like I've kind of put them in like the friend zone. I need to go back and watch some of their games because I really liked them last Ball year. Off. And we, we were both we were both aligned on that pick. And as we've seen, week one's just kind of crazy. LSU lost to FSU. You know what I'm saying? Like this stuff happens. So Oregon got destroyed by Georgia, which again, they probably would a second time, but maybe it wouldn't be like 40 <laughs> points. Like I'm not, you know what I'm saying? 30. Like we you know what I'm saying? Like we it felt like 40. I know that was wrong, but it <laughs> felt like 40. <laughs> but like point being, like week one's just weird. So I think that you got to do what I'm struggling to do and delete that memory of Utah from your mind and be like, oh, just appreciate Utah. They're not a team that's way worse than Florida, like they looked in the swamp. Utah defenders that we are. All right, mm-hmm. let's let's kick it to our interviews. Jaden Hazelwood, Tom Hart. I think people really appreciate how honest, self-reflective Jaden is as the former number one receiver in his class. Sounds like he was really humbled by his three years that he had at Oklahoma. And then Tom, yeah, well, talks about basically everything. So here's Jaden Hazelwood, then Tom Hart. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Arkansas receiver Jaden Hazelwood. Jaden, I know you're coming off a frustrating loss to, to Liberty, um, but it is kind of nice probably, I imagine, to turn around and have a team like LSU come in where it feels like all of the expectations are now on them after you guys probably heard about that going into the Liberty game. Yeah, um, I mean, we take everything weekly, week by week, and we try to prepare the same for everybody. Of course, not schematically, but, you know, we prepare hard, we work hard, we practice hard. And uh, so, I mean, we got a challenge this week. I mean, to the world, I guess the pressure is on LSU because I guess everybody feels like we have nothing to lose. But um, I will say that we do have some pride and we we do, we still plan on finishing the season strong, of course. Um, of course, we didn't expect to win last week. I mean, we didn't expect to lose last week, I'm sorry. Um, but we got to keep rolling. So I imagine this experience for you has been uh, it, it's been kind of what you were looking for after the way that things kind of went at, at Oklahoma, where, you know, you want to get more targets. You want to be more involved. You want to be a bigger piece of, of the offense and the way that things kind of happen there with the coaching staff, quarterback situation, all those different things. How, how has this been for you? Because it seems like you're really soaking everything in that has come with this this new opportunity and this new chapter in your career. Right. Um, I mean. I do have, I mean, I have been more con- contributing more to the team um, than I did when I was at OU, I would say. But, um, I mean, it's tough. I didn't, we didn't expect the season to kind of go this way. You know, we, we, we knew that we had a lot of talent and uh, we expected to go undefeated. Like that was the mindset, like we about to really do something this year. And we took a few losses, of course. And uh, I mean, I am making a name for myself, I would say. I mean, but I mean, I still do put the team first. So if 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 I'm not doing enough for us to win, it really doesn't matter to me, you know, because uh, winning is fun. That's what makes the game fun, you know. And uh, 
So when we do win those games and stuff like that, that's when I do think of, okay, you know, I didn't have this opportunity and I did, I caught a few balls today, you know, (laughs) things like that. So that's kind of where my mind is with it. Winning seems fun at Arkansas. It just like right. that's such a basic observation, but you know, you see Pittman in the locker room, turn that Dan jukebox on, like all these right. things. Like it, it just seems fun. Is, is that a fair assessment that winning at Arkansas is just fun? Cause you've seen what it's like at other places. Right. It's fun. That's, that's, that's the name of the game. And it's supposed to be that way, you know, and it shouldn't feel good to lose as a competitor. And uh, of course you're going to, you don't want to ride the highs too high, but when you do win, you want to appreciate that win. And, you know, of course you want to get better from it, but winning is the main goal every week. That's going one and zero every week is the goal. Um, and I just feel like we, that's still the plan. I mean, we got opponents that we got to face and I feel like we still, we're sticking together. We're going to prepare well and we're going to make sure that we're doing everything to win. I want to go back to to your recruitment because I was listening to you on the hog pod and use the word stressful to to describe it because I mean it's one thing to get all the the hoopla you know your junior year your senior year but you're out here getting offered as a DB by Lovey Smith at Illinois as a, as a freshman in high school Bama wanted you as a DB what was a, a specific example going through that process that you really felt that stress um. I would say it was stressful because you only, I wouldn't say you only can get it, you can only make that decision once because of the transfer portal and whatnot, but that wasn't a thing when I was coming out of high school. So it's like, this is it, you know? So you don't want to, you want to make the best decision and you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what injuries, you don't know what injuries going to happen. You don't know if coaches are going to change, you don't, you just don't know if whatever they promise you is going to, you know, come into effect or whatever. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I feel like that's just kind of what happened when I was at OU. It just didn't work out. And uh, I wanted it to work out so bad, you know, like me being stubborn, I'm like, maybe, maybe it's me. Uh, you know, I try not to put the blame on anybody else. And, uh, that's that was the stressful part, you know, just kind of making sure you make the right decision, not knowing what situation you're really going into as a teenager, you know. And uh, that's, that's the intro. Like, yeah, that's that's tough. Like that's that's like a real life decision. It's not like you're a regular student, you're going somewhere knowing you're just gonna get a degree and go get a job somewhere. Like it's kind of bigger than that. You know, you you're trying to get set up for the next level, you wanna be developed. And, uh, you know, and just kind of grow from a mental standpoint. It's uh, it's one of those things that I think on the outside world, we can look at you and say, ah, you know, what number one receiver in your class, you know, you, you go to a place where go to a high powered offense, you pick a place like Oklahoma, but like all these other factors that you have to consider and even yourself being recruited as a defensive back early in your career where like literally, you know, in high school freshman year, when most kids are just trying to remember the combination for their lockers, you're, you're like, Oh, I got, I got to deal with like power five head coaches you know, <laughs> that are blowing yeah. me up and stuff like that. You, it seems right. like you had to grow up really, really quickly. Right. You know, and I would say one of the coaches on my staff right now, Jimmy Smith, he was my high school coach. He, he kind of helped me with that. Um, 
because we had we had some D1 guys on my team, like who was kind of older, and he kind of told them those guys to take me under their wing, and that's kind of what happened. And like they kind of showed me the ropes, and you know, of course, I'm gonna make my decision at the end of the day, but they did help with that, and just having those guys who who were you know older and power five D1 athletes, they like just learning from just watching them too. Like they didn't have to tell me everything, you know, like even when they did go to school, I kind of see how things went. So I knew when I did step foot on a college campus, like I'm not the biggest thing walking there, you know? So I came in kind of humble, you know, quiet and, you know, head down. And that, and that's just my personality anyway. Like I didn't, I didn't choose to give myself a big name. I didn't choose to be, the number one receiver in the nation. Somebody else made me that, you know? All I did was just play the game. Go from being in that spot as a freshman to, you know, junior year where everybody's coming out to see you and you're, you're a household name in that process. And being in a place like Atlanta, everybody can get to you. You know, it's not like you're you're out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, somebody's going to kind of, you know, take a long flight and, and whatnot. It's like everybody can get to Atlanta. And at the same time, you also have that access to be able to, to get to these other places. But, you know, there's that place that's not too far down the road, Georgia. And I'm sure, right. you know, I remember, you know, Georgia, that, that recruitment was a really big deal and you went there a good amount, but, you know, you grew up having family and your dad went to Oklahoma and, and having that background there. But did seeing Georgia's offense against Oklahoma's offense make a big factor for you in that recruiting process? Yes, it definitely did. Um, I know Georgia, just in the SEC period, though, you know, it's not really a pass-first conference, if that makes sense. You know, that's – It's become that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's becoming that, yeah. But at the time, it's like you got all these running backs <laughs> at UGA <laughs> – and uh, you you got like maybe one receiver who who gets the rock, maybe forty percent of the time, a game. Whether it's at OU, you're throwing the ball maybe thirty five or forty times a game, so it's enough to kind of go around. And that didn't even happen, you know. So that's why I say everything isn't always what it seems. <laughs> and uh, and if I had to redo it all over, I wouldn't change a thing though. Um, I mean, it it made me who I am, and I'm still growing today, you know. So it's not really something I would dwell on. I'm not disappointed in my decision at all. I'm I'm here, you know, and I'm still playing the game. I'm doing what I love to do. Tell me what it was like to show up on campus and see Jalen Hurts go to work. I didn't even know Jalen was coming, and I was already signed. So I was uh, I I I actually enrolled early. And like maybe um three weeks later, like I see the media tweeting, oh, Jalen Hurts was spotted on, you know, Norman University, Oklahoma's campus. And I'm like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> we knew Kyler was gone. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we got Tanner Mordecai, uh, Spencer's coming in. So I'm thinking it's going to be like between those two. But Jalen Hurts ended up coming in. And he honestly – he was a great player for us, like, and a great leader as well. Like, he was never one of those guys came in content. He was always about his business, um, making sure he's, like, good at, like, not just good in a selfish way, good enough 
doing everything right so he can watch over us and make sure we're doing everything right. You know, he wasn't one of those guys that just one-sided, oh, y'all do this and I'm just going to do that. What was it? Uh, did Were you one of those guys that was uh, on like the left or right side of the squat rack when he was just putting up like 600 pounds? Were you, were you in those videos that would come out? I think I was probably standing on like a bench or something. <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're the hype man. Yeah, I was in there though. <laughs> For sure. Uh, you know, we, we talk about not having the, the role that, that you wanted Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, you know, announces that, that he's leaving. And, and to that point, you've been through a lot and people, you know, forget, you know, you tore your ACL and it, it's one thing to have to carve out a, a role at, at a place like that, where they're just bringing in receiver talent left and right. right. But, you know, take me back to, to that move of deciding, all right, I need a new home. I'm ready. I'm ready for, for a new chapter. And what kind of told you that you were ready for something new? Um, Lincoln leaving was probably like the last straw because um, I did I did go through like so much stuff, like not even just on the field, like off the field down there, like mentally. And uh, I just felt like it was like kind of mentally draining me. And I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was distracted, but like. It was hard to stay focused on like the job that I was trying to get done. And. uh being far away from home, that that played a factor, and I'm still far away from home. But you know, I got people that I that I actually trust here. Um, but at the same time, it was just it was just so much going on with me outside of football. And then I did tear my ACL, and that was a, a year process. Maybe it was six months, but even post, like it still was kind of like mentally like draining like I'm in a dark place and I just feel like nobody was really there for me you know so I played my the I played like a few games the year I did get hurt I think I played maybe two or three and I got COVID and that was one of the reasons why I missed the game so it was just like all bad man so just a new environment around some people that I that I actually know and I trust who knew me since like I was probably middle school, you know, so it was just like it was an easy decision. <laughs> it may be far away from home, but it's like I know I got some people who genuinely care. Not saying that they didn't at OU, but I actually feel the love and I and I actually trust it. You know, I it's hard to really trust, you know, that's it's not easy at all, you know, especially from some people that <laughs> you met during the recruiting process, <laughs> it's hard. So it's, and things don't work out. It's just like, ah, uh, you kind of put your guard up type of thing. And so when, when Lincoln left, it was just like, yeah, it's time for me to go. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever have any, any moments where you're like, ah, maybe, maybe football's not for me anymore. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to figure out something else to do. You talk about going through that to depression when you, when you tore your ACL. Yeah. Do you ever have any uh -huh. moment where you're just like, maybe I won't come back from this? No, nah, I don't think I would. But I feel like everyone has had moments where they say football isn't for them. And I wouldn't even say that just because of my injury, though. Um, just because things just not working out, you know. And part of that comes with just looking at your peers. You're looking at your peers and your class and whatnot, and they get drafted and their dreams coming true. And, and you just still waiting on your time, you know. And it, and it – and that comes from just want like wanting 
the most, maybe something you're just not ready for, though, you know? So I kind of looked at it as that, and I'm still here. Like, I'm st I still have the same passion and love for the game. So even if I don't make it to the next level successfully, like, I'm – proud of everything that I did you know I'm not I'm not gonna leave the game with any regrets like this is this is what I put my all into I know that I put so much time and sacrifice into this like leaving family you know not making my mom happy for leaving going 12 hours away from home like I know that hurted my family and it didn't work out but at the end of the day I'm a man and and I own up to every decision like it it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really affect me in a way, but it does because it didn't work out, you know. Like, if it would have worked out, everything would have been all good because – but that's what a sacrifice is. You don't know the out, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. But at the same time, you got to you gotta own up to it and figure it out. <laughs> and that's what I'm still doing. What's the Sam Pittman recruiting pitch like? He didn't have to recruit me at all. <laughs> really? Like, no, it was it was already it was kind of like understood. Like he he just was himself, you know. And, and I appreciate that. I'd rather someone be themselves than pitch something to me that's not them. So when when he says to you, "Hey, you know, Traylon Burks going to the NFL." We're we're trying to, to to figure out what our what our passing game is going to look like next year. Obviously, you know they were very active in the portal, and they, you know you get Matt Landers as well. But that that sell to you, I imagine that just kind of had to be like, and and you know I I shouldn't say the word sell. It's like you talk about he's as genuine as it gets, and that's why I say all the time he's America's coach. But right. seeing seeing that kind of how much was that like an aha moment for you to be like, hey. I've been around. I've seen what it's like with the high school recruiting pitches from every possible person. And then to have somebody like Sam Pittman, I imagine that had to be just the, the ultimate breath of fresh air for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, he didn't really like those were some of the factors anyway, too. Like I would say, like I knew Traylon Burks was leaving. Like so he he didn't really have to speak too much on that. Um, it was more so me and Browse and all of the offensive coaches like guiding and stuff like that. Just showing me the scheme like how what what type of offense is this what what concepts do you guys run like i know we're going to run the ball but like what what passing concepts or how how am i going to be used like it it was straight to that you know like we know we're going to be family and stuff like that like we going to that's how we move and that's how we talk and you know that's how we are when we are around each other outside of the football building but when it's but when i was on that visit i was more so focused on that instead of like the environment, you know, because I already know the environment is going to be pretty good. You know, I didn't you didn't have to sell me anything about the environment at all. But how am I going to be used in this offense? How how can I help this team and win us some games? You know, how can I contribute? It's funny you mentioned that because I remember talking to Wondell Robinson and he said like the same exact thing, like same exact thing. Just show me how I'm going to be used in this offense. That's the pitch. Don't sell me on all the other stuff like that. I've, I've been through that. I don't care about right. that anymore. It's all about just being able to to get to that next right, level. Just, the clock ticking. <laughs> clock ticking. You, you know it. You understand it. It's yeah. like, all right, if I'm if I'm just going to be cast off the side here and I'm, I'm going to be blocking, you know, and 70 I'm a, And I'm a competitor too. So if you – if even if you already had another receiver who was already good, like I was still – that doesn't affect my decision at all. I mean, I went to Oklahoma when I knew CeeDee Lamb was 
a first round pick. Right. That doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm gonna compete wherever I go because that's just that's just who I am. You know, I, I don't turn down any battles. And uh that's just that's just the name of the game for me. You know, if you don't have any passion or competitiveness in this game, you won't last at all. I imagine it was tough to kind of get on the same page with with quarterbacks at times at Oklahoma and, and the way that things kind of rotated in and out. And you probably thought you probably thought when you first committed there, like maybe I'm going to play with Kyler or something like that. And then he blows up and then, you know, Hertz comes in and, you know, what happened your last year there with, with Spencer and Caleb. But I know that's that's difficult to, to juggle from a receiver standpoint. What was it like getting on the same page as KJ when, when you come in there? Like how quickly did you kind of you guys kind of, you know, develop that rapport to be able to to kind of make sure that relationship was going to be rock solid and, and something that you guys could progress during spring ball. Yeah, I I actually used to like my first day on campus, I think I threw it, KJ. Like I don't even think I was fully moved in yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um I would like I would be on KJ harder than KJ would be on KJ about like, come on, bro, let's let's go throw. Like it would be late, you know, it would be dark outside like I have to catch the indoor right before it closes at I forget what time but it it's probably around eight o'clock or something like that where you where your key fob doesn't work anymore and I try to catch him to tell him to come in like let's just get 30 minutes but really I'm gonna make him stay for probably like an hour or something <laughs> saying 30 minutes to probably get him up there you know uh, that was kind of how we developed that relationship and uh and then we did used to have like days during the week, like our off days of not lifting, we would uh, throw, we would come up and throw in the indoor and stuff. And that was really about it. Every time I watch you, I, I find myself saying, you know, Jaden Hazelwood, he's got, he's got that dog in him. Like the, the physicality, and I don't say that about, about a lot of people, but like the physicality that you have after the catch is, is I think an unbelievable asset in, in your favor where like you, you seem like a pretty quiet, pretty reserved dude, but there's like this George Kittle like ability that you have <laughs> after the catch to just want to like throw people off. Like where, where does that come from? Uh, I just kind of just let my soul kind of cry on the field, you know. I've been through <laughs> a lot, you know. I, so that's that's how I cope with my anger and stuff like that. And I am very calm, you know. I, I hold a lot of things in. and uh, <laughs> It's kind of like my therapy, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? uh, that's how I rage. So on the field, I try to that, – that's how I let everything out, you know. And uh, But outside of this – Nobody would ever see me like lose my mind, you know. I'm very quiet, and I've been vocal to the team because, like, that's I, that's what's expected of me, um, being who I am. And um, it's I used to be very uncomfortable, but now it's not. It's just like something I know that I have to do every day, so I'm comfortable with that. But outside of the building, it's kind of like I'm on mute. Uh, I'm in my own world, kind of, you know. And I kind of. Like I, I hang around my teammates and stuff, but other than that, I'm 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 Mr. Solo Dolo, man. <laughs> so, I'm more so out of the way, man. I'll be kind of focused on my family and making sure they good back home. What's uh What's more satisfying then? Is it throwing a throwing a DB off you like a rag doll, or or making a catch in traffic? I say making a catch in traffic, only because that's like real production. True. 
Nobody yeah. sees that. Like maybe yeah. maybe that shows up in like nobody the sees when I push a DB on the ground unless like the run comes to my side or something. <laughs> is there is there a catch in, in your mind that stands out this year? Like one that you just kind of like, yeah, I'm, that was one that 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 those were those uh, late night with sessions KJ in the indoor facility. You know, an hour when I said it was going to be a half hour. That one that you kind of think of when you daydream and and you're just like, that's that's the one that I I need more of that. I want more of that feeling. That's what I chase. I would say it's two. Um, I would say Cincinnati when I scored. And uh, I would say last game on that fourth down when I kind of stretched out for one in the middle. Of, it was it was in traffic for sure. And uh, I kept us on the field and we ended up scoring that drive. Yeah, th- I would say those the, the, the only two that are like up there. Those those are the ones you chase. And then yeah, everything you know, it's like one thing to catch a a play open, but something like that when you can do the things that you can, I imagine that mm-hmm. makes a a big difference. Uh, th- this has been great. I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire, just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Got you. All right. First one. Are you uh, one of the people who has illegally climbed Sam Pittman's hog statue? No. <laughs> Good. All right, good. He's he's very unhappy with that. People that come to his house and that's like a real thing. Like people are climbing on his hog statue. And he's really? like, I'm not about that. Yeah, he's, there's a sign and everything there. People just do it. Yeah, I think it's a theme park or something like that. I didn't so even know people to, did that though. I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to climb it. I want to take a picture with it, but yeah, only yeah. people do that. So you're on the right track there. Um, yeah. Okay, you can only pick one as an Atlanta native. Waffle House, Chick-fil-A, Varsity. Nobody eats the Varsity in, who's from Atlanta. That's like really? the thing, yeah. Okay. We don't really eat that. So I would say Waffle House. <laughs> okay, chick fil nobody, nobody from Atlanta really likes the varsity. Is it, is it touristy? <laughs> is it like, oh, because yeah, somebody like me that's not from there? Yeah, it's like really like inner city downtown. So like, and it's pretty big. They got a big sign, but like, it's no one like wakes up and like, let's go to the varsity today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, okay, what pro receiver do you see yourself um, kind of most similar to? DeAndre Hopkins. Ooh, that's good. Nuke. Yeah, he's physical too. He's really yeah. physical at the point of at the point of attack. Um, okay, you've been asked this question before, I'm sure. Big Twelve versus SEC. It's not who's better; it's how much better is the SEC. How much better is the SEC than the Big Twelve? I would say the SEC is like way more physical. Like, <laughs> like my body feels like I've been in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Like I've never like soreness wise. Like I've never like felt like this in college. And I've played, and I've started a good amount of games at OU. So. That's that's the new trademark. Not it just yeah. means more. It just feels sore. Yeah, we'll it's that. very much soreness yeah. after a SEC game. <laughs> All right, last one for you. Uh, your favorite thing about your year in Arkansas so far is what? My favorite thing about being here, in, like football wise, can be anything. Could be could be a, a barbecue place. It can be. I love Devil's Den. Like mm, okay. Uh, uh, like the little hiking, like I go hiking there on Sundays and I like the view. And especially right now where the leaves are changing colors and stuff. So that's like one of my favorite things in Arkansas right now. Big foliage guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's how I get a peace of mind, bro. Yeah. I, I feel like I give my though. energy to like so many people. So like when I go there, it's kind of like me regrouping on some type stuff, you know? I like that. Therapy on the field is just like, you know, swaying, you know, throwing yeah. people off you and then therapy off the field is, you know, Sunday hikes. That's the way to do it. Right. Yeah, love, it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, really appreciate the time, man. Love watching you play. Best of luck with everything the rest of the year. Appreciate you. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is dear friend, one of maybe, I don't know, like two Cardinal fans that I actually like, Tom Hart. Tom, uh, first question, have you obtained some self-respect? I have no self-respect, nor should I. What I mean, so by the way, for those who don't know what that is, I don't just typically open with Tom asking if he has self-respect. Um, Greg McElroy had the audacity, the audacity to go on his airwaves and criticize you guys for eating on air in the midst of yeah. what he called was a very good competitive game involving AM in South Carolina. And he was appalled, appalled. The man who eats pretzels and cream cheese and strawberries and whatever else kind of crap is in that Thanksgiving concoction he puts together. The man was appalled and said that you guys needed to get some self-respect. So no self-respect yet. No self-respect. Uh, we're in the entertainment business, Connor. We, we aim to entertain. And if we can educate at the same time and enlighten, that's great. But the first E is a very big E and it's short for entertainment. So let's entertain first and foremost. And I still have people come up to me I would say on the street, but I don't usually walk streets. But if mm -hmm. I were walking streets, that's where they would um, address me and they would say, hey, how's the donut burger? Or is Jordan still eating that two foot long corn dog? Now, Greg McElroy is in a he's in a different tax bracket. I get it. Like his neighborhood probably has gates. Mine does not. So he's afforded a different perspective on life. I did ask him. On his show, uh, on on Jocks in Birmingham, I said, I'm just curious if it's hard for you to see the field from the ivory tower you broadcast from. <laughs> and I'm still waiting for an answer. I, I I don't know why he talks to a peasant like me anyway. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if I were – if I had been calling games for roughly, you know, like three years as opposed to somebody that's been calling games for I, – I don't know want to put a number on it with you but we're in the Thank more you. than a decade club I, i'm not gonna put a number on it i don't want to age you like that that's unfair but you have the the experience flex on a certain greg mcelroy who's like uh, close-ish to my age i'm just saying if you want to eat a large corn dog on air i think that you tom hart and jordan rogers and cole obviously have earned that right and you should not feel any sort of shame for that that's what i think what is the most popular segment in the history of college football coverage? And this should be an easy answer. It is it's Todd a man putting on a mascot head. Oh, I was going to say Todd Blackledge. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Neighborhood Eats? The Taste of the Town. Yes, the that town. would be in the top five. Yeah. But the most popular segment in the history of college football is Lee Corso putting – a mascot. And by the way, if you've ever worn a mascot head, which which I have, I worked in minor league baseball. I was the broadcaster, did some groundskeeping, sold ticket packages. And yeah, I wore the mascot once or twice. Those things do not smell good. Mm -mm. Mascots keep Febreze in business. 
So um, let's not lose sight of the entertainment aspect of college football. We're here to have fun, Connor. Amen. Amen, Greg. Um, okay, so speaking of you being on the call for for uh, for an AM game, you kind of riled the masses a little bit with uh, when you went up 5-5 and you're like, Jimbo Fisher bailed on a production meeting. I've been doing this for a minute. Again, to bring up your resume, you've been doing this for more than a decade. Um, calling me old again. Yeah, I wasn't doing that um, as Tom sips his Jack and Coke. Um, look... <laughs> When you say something like that, people, of course, are going to be like, what's wrong with A&M? Is he talking to Jimmy Sexton, who's in town? What was the the entire story? Because I saw the Billy Lucci tweet about like there was a mix up between, you know, the offensive meetings or something like that. Did you ever kind of get to the bottom of what happened with Jimbo and why he just decided to bail on you? Well, two things. And, and I was just having this conversation recently. Um, I would not have brought that up had I not been asked a direct question about it. Number one. And I never would have brought that up during game coverage itself, which I think is uh, in its own category separate from the Paul Feinbaum show. And I think most people uh, can see what that difference would be. In my opinion, as a broadcaster, if you bring it up during the game, you just sound like you're complaining, Mm. right? Oh, well, uh, we can't tell you about the new quarterback because the coach blew us off. But uh, and nobody wants to hear that, nor do they care about your problems. I mean, we're, we're broadcasting football games, okay? We're not building bridges or, or trying to, you know, send an astronaut to the moon or anything. It's not really that hard. But Paul asked me a direct question about the players that were suspended for the weekend, and he's familiar with the time frame of our Friday afternoons, as you are. And so he said, if you could share, you know, what, what did Jimbo have to say about the suspensions? And my first answer was, well, Jimbo wasn't, made available to us. And Paul is really good at what he does. And he sensed that and he said, hold on, let's rewind. This seems really odd that the head coach didn't meet with you. So I think the the answer in the end is, and was in my mind, an indicator of the turmoil that they were in as a program, as a whole. And I don't think that's too strong a word to use. So on that particular day, they had other fires that had to be put out. Mm-hmm. most programs aren't putting out fires on a Friday afternoon. The hay is in the barn. You've got some media obligations. You're going to have a team meeting. You might shuffle some personnel around or somebody comes up with the flu or whatever. Trainer says this guy can't go and you thought he could. But other than that, Fridays are probably the easiest day in, in football facilities. Now, that particular day in College Station – they had other more important fires to put out. And I, I would never say that we, um, as a broadcast crew, demand a, a high level of importance or attention, but a schedule is a schedule. And um, in my opinion, the reason I gained so much traction is because they were on a three-game losing streak at the time that's now grown to five. And it's uncommon to have to put out these big fires on a Friday afternoon and and um, I don't think they wanted us talking about what those fires were, and, and we weren't going to do that. So that's kind of how it all ended up ruffling a bunch of feathers. And a perfectly fair thing to bring up, because that is very atypical. I mean, to have a head coach just be like, ah, you know what, this is more important. And then we connect the dots because that's what we do. And we have nothing better to do on a Friday afternoon to be like, oh, I wonder who's suspended or I wonder what exactly is going on or 
what's Jimbo trying to do? And some, some I saw even jumping to the conclusion of like, oh, this means Jimbo's fired. And it's like, okay, that's that's not what that means at all. But I yeah. mean, that's just the the way that we we kind of run with these things. And obviously, A and M, I think it's fair to say the vibes have been better. You get a good sense when you go to these places of what exactly the vibe is like within a facility, within a fan base, all these things. What's your impression about the overall vibe in Aggieland? Well, I was I was just reminded, by the way, because uh, Paul asked me if I'd ever not met with a head coach on a Friday afternoon, and I gave him the wrong answer. Uh, to my recollection, it was accurate, but it had never happened to me before. It had actually happened one other time. Um, in 2009, I was doing a New Mexico game, mm. and they had an assistant coach punch a player. Um, no, I, I'm sorry. He punched Mike Loxley. Oh, that's he right. The head coach. So he got yeah. a literal fist fight. And um, Loxley did not meet with us that Friday afternoon. And I actually understood why. Like, you, you don't want to go on record and you know you're going to be asked about it. Um, so that was, if you remember that incident from that indicator of how long I've been doing this, Mike Loxley was a head coach in New Mexico. Um, More than a decade ago. Yeah. So – yeah, I mean you're 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 going in the right direction here. Um, it 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 did not seem to be a very harmonious situation in the facility that day. Now I will say, like we met with the coordinators and we met with players, and they're all very positive. And they had we had great discussions with DJ Durkin about where they were defensively and and kind of what they were doing on the other side, on the offensive side, with Coach Dickey about what Connor Wigman brings to the table and and how they were excited about getting him a start. Uh, and by the way, he looked great that night um, against Ole Miss. And, you know, I, those things usually don't happen when a team is on a three-game winning streak, right? Um, and so you learn a lot about a program when, when things aren't going well. And, and, and just to back up, like I've, we've done a lot of Alabama games. Nick Saban is the most in-demand person in college football in terms of media requests, um, all the ins and outs of being a head coach. You know, um, dealing with boosters, dealing with your NIL situation, dealing with your staff, staff turnover, new guys, game plans. He's got a schedule and he sticks with it. And we always meet with with Nick Saban at the same time, same room and the same meal uh dreamland barbecue to follow so um that's i think that's an indicator of of why it kind of threw everybody off okay the opposite of that cadillac last week just like him soaking in that experience was incredible to watch from from afar and for those who have kind of tracked him for a bit and have have had the pleasure of being able to kind of speak with him in this setting it is really amazing to see this this guy that understands the moment and understands what he's being asked to do what was the experience like from your end seeing kind of the the before the during and the after he was the exact same in our call during the week um, when we jumped on the Zoom with him, just this overflowing of emotion because of what Auburn means to him and what it's provided to him. And, uh, you know, he said – what he said about Auburn belongs in a brochure, all right? Yeah. It belongs in the front page of their website. The admissions people should be touting it nonstop. Every coach 
who's trying to recruit there should be using it. But basically, to boil it all down, he said, Auburn made me the man I am today. And I would not have had any of my life experiences without my Auburn experience. And I don't know how much money he made in the NFL, but he was the offensive rookie of the year. And he had a nice, long career, much longer than most NFL careers last, especially for a running back. And he's now living the dream. And I I think it takes a unique person to recognize that in the moment and to be able to kind of step back still get the job done, but step back and and let it wash over you. Um, I was covering the Braves as a sideline reporter in 2012, Chipper Jones last year, and he announced his retirement in spring training before the season began. His body was worn down. There were days in spring training when he would go back to the condo and end up just sleeping on the couch because he couldn't climb the stairs to get to the second floor. That's how bad his knees were. Uh, But he came out and he had a remarkable year. He had some incredible moments that year, including a home run in his final at bat. Uh, I think that was a walk off against uh, a final hit. I should say not final at bat. Um, I think that was the walk off against Papelbon, but I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, But late in the year, we were in Pittsburgh and I interviewed him in the dugout. Actually, during the game, which didn't happen very often back then. And I said, have you? have you appreciated what this all is? And there was a a Willie Stargell banner hanging in right field and and Pops was his hitting coach early on in his Braves career. And he said, you know, I just, I see the banner for Pops out there. And I think about everybody who's helped me get to this point and everything I've been through. Um, He said, yeah, I've, for the first time in my life, I've stopped to smell the roses, you know, and I've, I've made it a point to, stop and look around. And that's really hard for players and coaches who uh, assign themselves a schedule that's based on repetition to maximize their ability and their performance to then interrupt that schedule. In fact, staying with Chipper for a second, I remember we were at Yankee Stadium that year and he came up to the press box at one one point. And I said, what are you you doing up here? It was before (laughs) batting practice. And he said, I... I wanted a tour and he get, got one of the guys with the Yankees to give him a tour, to take him to Monument Park, to show all the um, memorabilia that's kind of scattered throughout Yankee Stadium. And he said, I, I'm never going to be back here as a player. I wanted to I wanted to see all of this. The Yankees were his dad's favorite team. Mickey Mantle was his dad's favorite player. So I'm reminded of that moment, even though they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Chipper was on his way out and, and Cadillac, was coaching in his very first game as a head coach, but he knew what that moment meant because the game means so much to him and because being an Auburn man means so much to him. And it's, it's just rare to get that insight where an athlete or a coach allows you to see where they're vulnerable and to open up that door to their emotions. And so I, I think that's what really hit home about it. I, I look at him and as much as we're, we're going to keep talking about like, what this means to him in the moment and, and this, this like trying to just capture every possible element of, of what goes into this, because it's one thing to be get promoted to a top assistant or whatever, but to actually realize like I am the coach of my alma mater is, is a very unique experience at this level. And, you know, I kind of look at his next step. I'm like, all right, is he, I think he's either going to get a, a position with the next regime that, I mean, that they would offer him that in a heartbeat. It seems like, sure. or alternatively, you'd be an idiot not to, 
Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole reason Brian Harson's staff kept him on board. And they're like, hey, we need you to stay to stay on and keep these guys close knit. And of course, he's been that. And it's like, all right, well, is he going to become an FCS head coach? Is he going to become a group of five head coach? I, I think that he, based on what we've seen so far, a very limited sample size would be so perfectly wired to be like an FCS coach or a group of five coach, just kind of get after it. Do you kind of get that sense from him that he kind of has that part of it together, despite the fact that it's been a pretty quick rise for him considering he was at IMG four years ago? Yeah, and then he was coaching the in the uh, in the AF with the Birmingham Iron. Was that, was that the name of the – are you allowed AAF to say team? that as an XFL guy? No. We'll bleep that. Fact, we'll bleep please, that. just you can edit that out, right? Yeah. Yep, we will. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting you bring up that possibility. Obviously, he he um, has an emotional connection and, and wants to be a teacher and a leader and he connects with his with his players. And so I could see him I could see him being of service to an FCS school as a head coach and of service to uh, an entire roster of players. If you have a chance to recruit and lead and guide, but at the same time, you know, there's some people who have said, and, and they would say this out loud. I'm at, I've talked to numerous people who haven't been involved in the coaching industry from the get go, who have said, there's only one job I would take and that would be my alma mater. You know, who, who say, I don't want to – to deal with all the ancillary BS that you have to deal with as a coach doesn't interest me, except if I could do it at a place where I truly care about um, and have an emotional connection to. And, and so I could see that side of the coin, too, that that he would only be I, – I don't, I don't want to put any limitations on him, and we haven't talked about this, but I, I just – I could use my imagination and hear him say – like a lot of people who have been through it and played for a long time at the professional level that like listen, this is why it matters to me because this is the place that molded me and I want to be able to give back. Um, and I don't know that you feel the same way if you go coach the Bearcats with the K at Sam Houston state. It's good school. Got a lot of, a lot of prestige there at the FCS level. Just saying got a lot of talent. Willie Fritz. I mean, let's go. That's true. Great point. Um, Jordan made the case for uh, for Quinshawn Judkins as, as somebody who deserves to be in the Heisman conversation. Last I looked on FanDuel, he he didn't have odds, but you see what he does at AM. And depending on how he finishes, I think he's got a chance to be the best true freshman back in the SEC since Nick Chubb 2014. Like that's that's the type of year that we're talking about. Doesn't it just seem like Lane just gushes about this kid and like I don't hear Lane say some of these things and talk about guys that quickly in their careers. He kind of likes to humble them a little bit more, but he's like kind of on a different level of infatuation with Judkins. Well, I think Lane takes great pride in the fact that he recruited him and he recruited him out of Alabama, you know, that he was a a three-star guy that, yeah, other people wanted, but um, did they – did they really sell out to get him? And, and there's this famous picture, Lane sitting in the rain at the state championship game. Um, you know, he we we talked to him about that a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, well, I was there. What, what was I going to do, leave? You know, <laughs> uh, which is just kind of the lay, like, yeah, everybody makes a big deal out of it, but that's, that's my job as a coach. And he, he talked about how much fun it was recruiting Judkins, dealing with him, dealing with his mom. He really – 
really love the family. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to imply that you're not as connected to in the recruiting process when you go get transfers, because there are times where you are. And I think that what they did in the, in the quarterback situation there specifically, like Dart was a guy that they wooed and they had a huge presentation for, and they wanted to make a connection immediately to try and get him there. Um, but I, I think it's easy to see why it would hit differently when you recruit a kid as a 16, 17-year-old and you get them to come to your campus versus making a, a transaction to get, you know, a guy who's already been playing major college football, who knows that it's a business, who's been involved in it um, a year, two, three years. So, yeah, I, I can see why Lane – uh, has that amount of pride in him. And by the way, he's over a thousand yards for the season. <laughs> he's a, he's an absolute stud. He's got incredible vision. Um, he's got great cutback ability, which is tied into his vision. He's a physical, you know, specimen as just a freshman. So you would assume that he's going to get better, right? He's going to get stronger. He's going to get smarter. He's going to get better. That's uh, a heck of a start for, for Judkins. You've got a golden opportunity to come up with a nickname for him that can stick forever. I mean, like, I got one. Okay, so think about how he was kind of anonymous as a recruit, right? A three, a guy has a thousand yards already this season. He wasn't a five star guy. How about QAnon? Oh, that's original. I like. I that. mean, would that be? <laughs> you, how do you think people would react to that? You know, like, would <laughs> that be controversial at all? How edit quickly that out. can you? No, yeah, we'll leave that, that in. We'll leave that in. Want... <laughs> How quickly does that phone call come to you? The the Tom Brenneman, I mean, that'll never be topped. But that would be because because that was a mistake where he didn't know that his his mic was hot. If you said that on those airwaves, that apology that would come afterwards would just be oh my gosh, unbelievable. Well, I don't want to get into the Brenneman situation because I have some very. Uh, direct opinions about how that's portrayed versus what it was. So we'll just sweep that off to the side. But in in broadcast parlance, at least within ESPN, um, you have a stack of cards. They're index cards that you read throughout the game that uh, include promos, sales items, and they're all numbered, right? They're numbered one to however big the show is. You know, here's our All-State Mayhem Moment is card number three. The All-State Field Goal Nets is card number six, you know, the T-Mobile read is card number one, whatever. My progressive pylon cam, if you're on a big show, it's card number 20. When every stack of cards comes, there is a card 99. And that card 99 is a written out apology. So what someone does, you, I, in fact, I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, during game day this week or last week, Reese jokingly referred to card 99. Like he peeled when the curtain McAfee back. McAfee dropped dropped a B bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Can I interest you in card ninety nine, which is essentially <laughs> <laughs> a boilerplate apology?" So you don't, because listen, if you're going to make a mistake like that on air, you're probably going to screw up the apology, right? So just here, here's sure. the card. Just read the apology and be done. So yeah, I think unless Marjorie Taylor Greene was uh, my boss, I'd be reading card ninety nine after that one. I, I had Did no we get, idea. Should we talk more politics? Should we let's, get deeper into? Let's do it. Election day was Tuesday. Just thoughts on the way everything. Went. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We're going overtime. I think we're going overtime. Last I saw. Uh, you you've got A and M Auburn this week. You're the concierge, but when you go to Auburn, Cole, does he step in and become the alpha, or are you still the alpha? Um, no, Cole definitely takes the lead in this scenario. Um, in fact, I I made the point of sending him a message yesterday, and very specific and and specific and direct uh, direct. The priority is a table at Acre Friday night. That's the priority. So I don't really care who he is entertaining. And I don't care who he is politicking for on his big weekend of homecoming at Auburn. My only priority is that he gets me a table at at Acre. And if he's not willing to do that, I need to know now so I can – make my own phone calls, but he, he promised me it wouldn't be a problem outside of football season. When I go to Auburn, I can make my own phone calls and, and get it done on my own. But in, you know, this is, this is his deal. It's, it's kind of like if your if your father-in-law takes you out to dinner, Mm. you don't offer to pay, right? You understand the hierarchy at play. Yeah, you, you may offer – you should probably offer once. Hey, can Yeah, I? once. And when he says no, you put the card back in the wallet and yeah. put it back. And thank you so much. Thank you for dinner. That's that's really the proper play. But you don't insist, right? That would be rude to insist. Correct. So um, I will let Cole take the lead. And if he doesn't pay it off Friday night, um, I'm just never going to speak to him again. You're very uncomfortable with this. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm nervous. Like this is a big deal to me. This is what I need to happen. And if he can't make it happen, then I just won't believe in him. Yeah, you're you're a, a shoot first point guard. You're Allen Iverson, and you finally have to pass the ball to Tyron Lou. And you're like, buddy, you better score. You're open in the corner. All right, this is sitting there for you. Listen, I can tell. Uh, give me Robert Ory any day of the week. That guy does not miss clutch shots. Big shot, Bob. Yep, agreed. Um, when when this year has Cole or Jordan truly alphaed you, uh, or was I guess the corn dog was that the alpha move? Was that an alpha move? I, I mean, the biggest object that you're eating on TV is considered the alpha move. That's why Cole ate the entire blooming onion a couple years ago. You don't just eat a small amount of food. Most amount of food is humanly possible says, yeah. I got this. Okay. Well, I do have an answer for you. Like, uh, and, and it would take me outside of football. Um, I used to call the college world series for ESPN. It was the most fun event on my calendar. That's where and I what know made it from. fun. Yeah. Yeah. What made it fun was not only the event itself, but the people that I had the opportunity to work with. So, and, and oh, by the way, if you're looking for gout, Omaha, Nebraska is the place to be. There's more red meat in that town um, than any other town in the entire world. In fact, it's part of my lineage. My grandfather, who lived in Omaha for a good chunk of his life, was uh, an, a meat inspector for the USDA. So, it, like, he made his living going to places where they make these awesome steaks. Now, going to a steakhouse with the great Ben McDonald is an entirely different experience. And one particular night at Omaha Prime, the uh, waiter wearing the tuxedo and the vest and everything uh, presented to our group of, you know, alpha males 
Well, if anyone's feeling aggressive tonight, you could go with the 96-ounce tomahawk ribeye. And most of us said, yeah, that's ridiculous. And Ben said, sign me up. And this thing shows up. It is The bone is so long that it's hanging off the plate and practically the table. Like Fred Flintstone would have ordered one of these. If you have a dog, you're familiar with Chuck It, which are the big things that flip the tennis ball. The you best. Flip it like 80 yards. Yeah, this is like um, a porterhouse at the end of a chuck it. And Ben McDonald got that bad boy on his plate. 30 minutes later, there's nothing left but the bone. So, yeah, <laughs> that was that was the alpha move. When I write Ben's book, that's going to be in it. That's definitely going to be yes. in it. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, okay, last one for you. Uh, why did you not work my T-Swift lyric suggestion into the broadcast that I told you uh, about earlier? Because I said when A-Chain gets hit in the backfield for a four-yard loss tonight, so that would have been, what, two weeks ago when the T-Swift album came out? Yeah, like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I said that you should say, you're on your own, kid. You always have been. Nothing. Um. It's me. It's my fault. It's me. That's all I could have asked for. Yeah. An apology in T Swift lyrics is as good as it gets. Yeah. That's all. That's all I have. By the way, um, I live in Atlanta. I have two teenage daughters. Taylor is coming here in April. Two nights of shows. Just, I'm just looking for four tickets for the family. You know what I'm saying? Just cap the Capital One has a promotion. No free ads here, but I may or may not have already booked a hotel in Tampa for the two shows in April. I will be at least one of them, God willing, if we can get tickets. I believe Capital One has some pre-sale promotions going. If you're in the market for that, if that is your credit card of choice, just throwing that out there. Huh. Might have to get another credit card. Might have to. That of the What's year. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, my credit score is already in the tank. So what? The, how's that going to hurt me at all? Credit score, approval rating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both down there. Yeah. They are both down there. By the way, if you, you I don't want to promote another podcast on, on yours. But if SEC fans haven't listened to Brian Curtis and his Ringer podcast with Uncle Vern from last week, yeah. I highly recommend it. And Vern just has a way of encapsulating the SEC experience as, as a whole. But he said something in that pod that really resonated with me. And it's what I think our group is, is pretty good at. And he said, as if you're going to call SEC games, you have to make sure you're accessible to SEC fans. And I was like, I'd never, I'd never heard it said like that. But I always believe that it, this is a communal experience, right? As a fan, you're in that stadium with 80, 90, 100,000 other fans. You're talking about it on message boards. You're following people on Twitter. You're watching every show you possibly can. You're logging on to Saturday Down South eight days a week. Like, Love it. It's an experience that is better the more of us who are involved in it. And so, um, you know, we're joking about approval rating. Like what I love is when I run into fans who say, 
man, I love watching you guys, right? It's not, I love watching you or I love Jordan or it's you guys. And so like, let's have this communal experience. And if that means we're eating a corn dog in a tight game because we want to have fun, that's fine. If it's Jordan ripping Jimbo for his complicated play calling, that's an experience too. If it's Cole talking to Cadillac Williams, who's practically on in tears before a game or at halftime saying we're never going to quit in a game that they trailed by 21 and forced overtime. Like we all get to experience this crazy trip around SEC football together. And it's a communal experience, which really adds value to it. It's, it's not much fun sitting on your couch, watching a game by yourself. So in this modern era, we can communicate and connect in so many different ways. Like, Hey man, let's all go through this crazy ride together. It's a lot more fun. I feel like I just heard a Cadillac pregame speech. That was incredible. Chills. That'd be better if it was a Cadillac commercial because mm. then I could afford the T-Swift tickets. Good point. Good point. Capital One. I think you got to get on that. You just get another credit yeah. card. You're good to go. Uh, Tom, How does Joe Klatt have a Cadillac sponsorship and, and we don't? Oh, gosh. What's that does. Yeah. Is that SEC hate? Um, it, it might be, it might be, um, had Joel on the show. I didn't even ask him about that a couple months ago. Although I don't know if that deal was, was official. Is that more of a Gus thing or is it more of a Joel thing? I think it's all of them. Like, listen, I'll take Yellowwood, you know, yeah. sign me up for Golden Flake, Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper's a little big for you. Johnson. You're right. Johnsonville. You can do Johnsonville. I know. I know some reps there. We can make that happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's make it happen. All right, Tom. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon, man. Thanks, man. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates for us. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking about buying furniture. One of my least favorite things to do as an adult is buy furniture. Hate it. Absolutely hate it. When we went couch shopping two years ago for our house, I would just walk out of stores angry. I would get in the car and I would just be mad. Mm-hmm. I, look, I, I think I'm a pretty reasonable guy most of the time. For whatever reason, though, I like. I, I think it was we would talk with these salespeople who were just so pushy, and not everybody's like that. And mm-hmm. look, my my dad worked in sales for 30 years. All right, like I, I understand, you know, the vibe, and and if you you're working on commission, all these different things, I, I totally get that. But I'm you know what's type- funny though, I like obviously my mom sells stuff too, and when you go into a store and you encounter a bad or annoying salesperson because you've been around your parents, it makes yeah. it so much worse because you know how it's supposed to sound. And, and and it's like I'm thinking in my head, you can do this in a way that doesn't make me feel so uncomfortable right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe that I don't know. You, you bring up a good point though. And I just end up getting frustrated and it's really annoying. So, I mean, meanwhile, like Lauren will have to call me down and she's the person who, while, while I am the one who will sit at the door and listen to somebody explain whatever, you know, political or, or local organization that they're involved in, or, oh, I'm sure you've seen in our windows, or, you've, seen, you've seen all these people doing new windows in your neighborhood or these solar powered, blah, blah, blah. And I'm the person who'll sit there mm-hmm. and listen for 30 seconds. And Lauren is the person that's just like, nope, this is not, this is not what we're doing. Let's keep it moving. Like, I, I can't, I can't be that. I don't like the fact that every time I go into a furniture store, I feel like they're watching me as I'm sitting on this couch. I don't like that. <laughs> don't need that in my life. I, I don't. I just feel this angst. So, a couple weeks ago, and this actually isn't related to that entirely. A couple weeks ago, decided mm-hmm. to buy a sleeper sofa for our guest bedroom. 
and we hit up rooms to go shout out rooms to go. That's maybe the one place that I can go to, to shop furniture that doesn't make me feel like I want to pull my hair out. So they're doing something right. They are mm-hmm. also shout out to Jesse Palmer, who is in those ads, just smiling into the camera for an extra four seconds. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? People listening to this, you've seen them. So we had a sleeper sofa picked out. They had a sale go in there. Boom. hundred dollar gift card, get a little discount, knock it out on a Friday night. Easy enough. About as pain free as a furniture shopping experience as one can have. Sofa is delivered on Tuesday morning. We didn't pay for the full in-home delivery because oh last boy, time, I know this story. You know it. You <laughs> absolutely know it. So last time they delivered our couch for us, and they're like, "Boom, we'll just, yeah, we'll set it up." We didn't pay for the extra delivery because the the policy is we're just going to put it in the first room in your house. Mm-hmm. The couch was going in the first room of our house or living room. It's just right there, easy enough. We're like, "Sweet, we just saved hundred bucks. Awesome." So we didn't do the in-room delivery this time, and don't you know it? Like, surely we can carry this 10 feet into our guest bedroom. No big deal. It did not fit. (sighs) Most people don't put a sofa in a guest bed. So you don't really think about it in the same sort of way. And I definitely didn't. Neither of us did. Um, And we have, we have a boat gate. We have, you know, a, a back door and like we have things that we can get furniture into. So we've never experienced this before where it's been a problem at all, but the issue is that boat gate now. I got to ask that question. Yeah. It's like if, if you have a fence in your backyard that, that swings open and if you if you wanted to put your boat in your oh, backyard. Oh, yeah. It's nice. Is that what that's for? See, I've never yeah. had a fenced in yard and a boat at the same time. In Louisiana, we just have boats laying around. Anyway. Oh, good point. Well, I, I've never, I, I too have never had a fenced in yard and a boat. Just just the fenced in yard, not the boat. Not, mm-hmm. not there yet. Um, but yeah. So like we, we just never thought about it in this sort of way. We're like, surely we'll be able to get this thing to fit. And man, it. It sucked. Uh, we we probably spent about an hour and a half. Every possible geometry combination was practiced. It was tried. <laughs> and we finally decided after putting a hole in our hallway wall, taking the hinges off the, the door to the guest bedroom, we're like, this isn't happening and we can't make this fit. And you know, like even if we could get it to fit, how are we ever going to get this thing out? <laughs> if we ever want to move, forget about it. Like it's just not happening. The good news is that we were able to exchange it for the smaller version, which should fit TBD on that. The bad news is that it costs us an additional 200 bucks. We've got the aforementioned hole that we need to patch up, mm-hmm. need to repaint the door frame a little bit, got to do the hinges on the door again, all that whole thing. We've got, we've got a queen size sleeper sofa just hanging out in our living room right now until they come do the exchange next Monday. And it's big. Oh boy. It takes up a lot of space. It's ugly, man. Not the couch itself. Couch itself is great. It looks great, but you're just kind of like, this is not something that belongs here in main living space. Um, it's bad. So um, I love that this is like an exact copy of the story I told like a month ago with like yeah. 80 with like 20% differences that we both and that in our moment we're like, this won't matter. And like that those differences are why it was a problem. Because it's like you got it in, but then didn't couldn't get it there. Exactly. This is why we talk about figuring out because there are things that look, we got holes in our game. This <laughs> is the place to talk about the holes that we have in our game. And every right. once in a while. It takes a situation like this, an hour and a half of blood, sweat, and tears, some curse words. I'm going to throw that in there. And a lot of frustration that you realize, oh, in a hole in a wall, where you realize 
it doesn't have to be like this. And if you take the proper steps and you, but at the same time, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to back off that stance because I truly don't think you can know with a couch like that of that size until mm-hmm. you actually get it here because you don't know where the couch, like where the soft side is and, right. and all those different things of like, all right, well, how's this going to break down? Maybe you could do this diagonal or you can mm-hmm. go at it from this angle. Like all these things have to be practiced once the couch is actually here. So mm-hmm. anyway, Tuesday morning, it was not fun. Buying furniture rarely is. It sucked. Hopefully we get a furniture. We get the piece that we want though for our guest bedroom. I'm exhausted. It's terrible. Yeah, I think that's that's funny. Like we kind of like learned something at the same time. It's incredible because like, we're time. we're both like in that place, right? So you know, this is like where it goes back to like when you're in college thing. Because when you're in college, you obviously go to like IKEA. You go to like the cheapest place you can find. Good the crappiest. Right. Yeah. Anywhere, bro. Exactly. Somebody's leaving some crap out. You bring it into your dorm, you figure it out. And then as you get older, those pieces of furniture just start to disappear. You know, you get married, you get a long-term girlfriend. They're like, where's that from? You're like the Bush administration, my bad. Let me get this out of here. And <laughs> then administration. Kinda, right. Exactly. <laughs> like it, this thing might be somebody's grandma's. Yeah. I don't know where I got it. Good point. And so like point being, like you start to do that. And then like, then you realize that the Ikea stuff, when you put it together and you thought that was hard is not as hard as finding locating, delivering, installing a nice piece of furniture without breaking your house or something else. And my only example of that, then we get to the uh, comments, is I got locked into what looking back was probably a predatory arrangement, but it worked for me, which is that the first adult purchase I ever had, I've actually told you about this way back in the day, was I bought a couch at Rooms to Go right when I got to college. When I actually got my SDS job is when I got this couch. And I got locked into paying like 50 bucks a month for this couch for like something insane for like eight or 10 years. And I was literally 50 bucks was coming out of my like it was like a, a, a like the renter agreement or whatever, like the financing I did through rooms to go. 50 bucks was coming out of my account like monthly for like years. And it, but it was like the night you've seen my couch. It's like a nice couch. So I was like, well, I know I was like, I don't want to get like a non-IKEA couch and then get another one five years later. So it's still in my house, like almost 10 years later or whatever. I started working there in 2015. And one day, right after I was in Atlanta, after I got this job, I literally just wrote rooms to go a check. And I was like, hey, here you go. And that was, that was the dumbest grind set thing I've ever done because i was like i'll make that money i'll make that money i'll get it back and like don't do that but it worked for me so. you leased a couch yeah well not least i like financed the couch to where it was like yeah yeah okay oh because you, you still have the couch and then that's not then yeah that's i've had the couch the couch. whole time i just paid 50 bucks a month and it was like a nicer couch than my buddies had because they could afford to pay what they could pay and i just started putting up 50 bucks a month so in hindsight though there's a reason why people don't buy nice couches in college Yes, because they like literally it was predatory. Like if I hadn't been me and like jumped up into like the job that I had to pay it off, I would have paid off that couch forever. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Perfectly understandable. We all make mistakes like that. Oh yeah, finance it. No big deal. We'll take care of this later. Yeah, mm-hmm. not always an easy thing to do. Okay, Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. We asked the question, the best piece of furniture in your home is what? What's the best advice one can have before furniture shopping? And any furniture shopping horror stories, please. And thank you. Let's start with this one from Drew Page. Drew says, when I was moving from my apartment into my wife's apartment, I had to get rid of my old nasty couch. It was older than me and not that comfortable. I came up with this amazing ad for it. So he shared the ad here and the ad says, okay, so let's get one thing straight. 
this is an old couch. It's older than me and was around before I was born. It's ugly. It doesn't have the greatest material, but it's comfortable. And you're on Facebook looking for a couch. So does it really matter? <laughs> That's perfect. And the pictures <laughs> are just gray squares. That's yes. the best part. It's just like, you know, it's couch looks bad. If you try to sell yourself on this couch, you're going to say no. So just know what it is. 30 bucks. Yes. If you're on Facebook Marketplace trying to get a cat, yeah, he, he knows his audience. That's that's always saying. Very different mm-hmm. experience buying from Facebook Marketplace. We we've sold on fake Facebook Marketplace a good amount. And it's it's super helpful. Like you want mm-hmm. you want to get rid of a, a like you want to get rid of like a, a bed or you want to get rid of like an old chair or something like that. Boom. Within 24 hours, that's gonna be gone. And you're, and you're gonna get some money for it. You're mm-hmm. not gonna you're not gonna go on Facebook Marketplace and sell something for like 800 bucks. But Lauren has figured that out very, very well. And it's extremely beneficial as opposed to like, oh, I'll put this on the side of the road or I'll give this goodwill or something like that. Mm-hmm. Facebook Marketplace, I stand by it. And I stand by ads like that. There's also, I don't know if you had the specific experience. This might be just a super common thing in Atlanta, but there are people who just like make a living off of Facebook marketplace. And I've had those people show up and like buy my stuff before. And I'm like, you're definitely going to make more money off of this than I did, but I don't really care because I don't want to yeah. sit around and negotiate with people all day. But uh, Brittany, I don't know if I told you about this. Brittany found like a price, like one of those loopholes in Walmart where they're giving away like $200 scooters for like 20 bucks because they miscarried a zero. So she, this is like last, like this is like COVID Christmas. So she basically just became Santa Claus, got all these scooters gave them out to people and then sold like the back half of them and made a bunch of money off of them but it was the craziest thing in the world because she'd just be like hey person coming to pick up scooter at 5 p.m and i was like okay and i was just like here's your scooter ma'am and she was selling like half off but still making like 80 bucks it was crazy (laughs) Brittany turned into dwight when he buys all those princess unicorns yes exactly (laughs) exactly my horn can pierce the sky so we love Facebook Marketplace for that reason. Yes, of course. Uh, all right, let's go to this one from my mother. Yes. My mom, Sheila Guerra, says, best piece of advice, measure. My mom is trolling me. Thank you for that, but that's very good by your mom. Good job, Ms. O'Gara. She didn't just say that. She said, we're shopping for a big and comfy sectional sofa. First one we picked out left us with only one foot to walk between the couch and wall. Hashtag suck it in. Not a fan of my mom using that hashtag, but let's just move right on from that. Um, She's right. you got to measure because you always think when you have a big wall that you're going to have enough space for that couch. And more times than not, couches are bigger than you expect. And Mm -hmm. I know I'm speaking from a place of recent pain and hurt and frustration, but couches are big and your wall is not that big. Mm -hmm. It always seems big when it's empty. Oh, we got enough space. We'll be fine. No big deal. We had to get a little bit of a smaller sectional than what we had originally hoped for with the, the the chase. But then we got the one that's got like the, it's got like the sleeper sofa addition to it, which is just more couch. I've talked about that before my game day setup. Um, but yeah, always measure and, or just like don't, and then just get really angry when things don't fit. Like I do. Well, to that point though, that's a really good one, which is that like, you're not just measuring for the couch, you're measuring for the couch and humans. Like, it's like, it's one thing if you, you know, if you say, okay, my wall is like, whatever, 100 by 100, whatever it'd be, and be like, okay, boom, so I have a couch that's like 95, perfect. It's like, no, no, (laughs) you need like space on either side, because there's nothing worse than the dude who has a couch that's like just too big for his space. He's like, it's couch rules, dude. And it's like, come on, bro, it looks like the Mississippi State video board. Let's be real here, bro. That's a huge, (laughs) come on, bro. Unnecessary. We don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, Derek Walden says, I sell furniture. I have too many horror stories, but they're all about customers. 
I am that person, apparently. Do you know how bad I felt? Like when we had this realization and Lauren calls up Chai, our salesman, at Rooms to Go, and she has to explain the situation. And I mean, the the sound of disappointment. Uh, Lauren said it was he did not seem to be thrilled about it, which I don't blame him. It's like you already passed the commission. You already got the right. sale. Now you got to deal with this, these idiots who didn't measure in their home to be able to get. And for what it's worth, we measured the wall. We just didn't right. measure the door to get into it. So it's a little bit different, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, dude. And like I said, I was in that same place with that tub. I gave myself like four inches on either side and I was like holding tight. Then I had a crew of people to move it in. So if it had just been me and my boys, we might have just found out it couldn't fit because we're stupid and we were just returned it to. <laughs> That's so tough too when you when you have that, the point of no return with a piece of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> when you say this has to fit. Right. If this doesn't fit, we're screwed. We're cooked. Yeah. We're, we're to your point, like rotating it around. Because you got to try like eight different angles to see. Once you're on angle number eight, you're like, uh-oh. It might not be nine. <laughs> Alternatively, though, the first time I, I like truly bonded with Lauren's dad over something was moving her couch into our apartment in Nebraska. And mm-hmm. that thing was a bonding experience in every way to get that thing to fit and to get that thing out, which we somehow did. And that was just through our front door because we had like a quick turn with our apartment. It was really weird, the setup. Mm-hmm. But yeah, couches will uh, they'll bond you in a hurry. Okay, let's end with this one from Nick Jones. A horror story. It's a bit of a long one, so strap in. Nick says... Buying a new couch and having it delivered when you live in a high rise. When I first moved to Denver, we lived in a 25-story building with only three elevators. Sick brag. Two elevators were normal use and uh, were for normal use, and one was the freight elevator that could be reserved for moving. So naturally, there was always a huge line. We reserved the freight elevator for the time window that the furniture movers were coming. Sure enough, they show up, and the freight elevator was double booked. These oh, furniture boy. movers are on a real on, are on really tight schedules and don't have time. Dilly dally, we tried to get them to hang tight for a few minutes while we sorted uh, out the elevator situation with management. But before we could blink, the movers stole the elevator from the other tenants, which was completely full. <laughs> with all of their stuff and proceeded to take the elevator up to our floor to deliver the couch. So I'm stuck in the lobby with the other tenants and it just looks like I stole an elevator full of their stuff. (laughs) You could cut the tension with a knife and needless to say, they weren't thrilled. The movers proceed to frantically move the couch into our apartment and dent the wall in the process. They left without saying a word and I had to call the company for a discount. Lesson learned, don't live in a building with more than three to four stories. The views are not worth it. Amen, Nick. Amen. That was going to be my biggest takeaway if you didn't hit that, because I was just going to say all these things could have been avoided if you just lived in a smaller building and not a 24-story building with three elevators. See, being a person with my disposition, I'm like a dream matchup for one of these situations, because if that happened to me, you know me, I'd just be laughing. I'd be like, hey, bro, look, you think... <laughs> I'd be like, yo, what's your favorite Pokemon, bro? Like, People would be so mad, and I'd be like, all right, look, what you want me to do? I'm obviously down here. I did not know what was happening up there. Like, that's so awkward. I love situations like that that could be like a TV sitcom, because it's like, oh, he, th- they think I'm in on this, but really, I'm just here, and it's like, hey, look. Blame management. I don't know what to say. That sucks. That's hilarious. That takes so long, too, for them to go up and come down with that thing. Mm-hmm. It, that had to be – It's that's not a 10-minute situation, right? Because mm-hmm. they got to move the, the couch into the apartment. We're talking 15 minutes. That probably felt like three hours. That, that would be terrible. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's funny. If just quick throwback to something you talked about earlier. You talk about Bryce Young and his plays that last like seven, eight seconds. I was like, dang, those feel about five minutes. That's exactly how that feels. Where it's just like, I'm the jerky, aren't I? And I just got to sit here. Yeah. But yeah, no. Hey, look, hate to say it. Heads up play by the movers, though, because if they lost their spot, hey, then you're just sitting there with a the couch. So sometimes you just got to power through. And Nick could have just blamed those guys. They're the bad guys and they're off their next job. So at least they were there on time. Something I can't say for very many movers. Very true. Very, very true. Bit all over the place. And I bet that that hole in their wall probably did not come out of their paycheck. They just have like mm-hmm. a fund for that. That's that's what insurance is for. You just take mm-hmm. care of that if you're a furniture moving company. Lad of the week. You already know what mine is. Oh, oh yeah. Cadillac. Of course it's Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Obviously. I went back and I read the story that I wrote about his coaching career uh, four years ago. And, and I remember that day, the last thing that I asked him um, when I was when I was there in Bradenton, was where he ultimately wanted to be. And here was his answer back in 2018. He said, quote, in the future, maybe coaching college ball. I'm sure a lot of people know that I bleed orange and blue. I would love to go back to the school that laid the foundation for me, for for helping me become a man where I had so many great memories. The people there are unbelievable. I said for a while, I do not root for teams. I root for people. I root for people like Cadillac who work hard to live out their dreams just like this and they truly soak it in and they have that self-awareness i love me some cadillac i love this story and you're going to probably listen to this this podcast and hear a whole lot more references to cadillac i don't care i think it's really cool and after the way that we've talked about auburn for the last year i think it's a breath of fresh air really do Mm -hmm. yeah i i named him lad of the week i saw that you did as well i was like you know what you're right we're right here there's not even it's hard to really say second place and so i'm i'm right there with you obviously that's a great quote that's better than my words could do i mean that's this is his dream this is he is a guy who bleeds like you said the auburn colors and i was honestly disrespectful in the preview pod to think these guys wouldn't fight and i was looking at the score and i was like yeah yeah like i was literally like looking at the score i was like oh crap this is what i thought it was and then it wasn't very quickly and so point being like yeah i mean this guy is not just like former player rah rah guy he's a guy that like you said has his bona fides came up through img has been like in a really nice little coaching pipeline and has a shot and like i said i mean i i want him to stay with that program and for as long as he wants to you know if he gets another head job somewhere else or a coordinator job he can obviously leave but it seems like he's set up to be like the, the guy under the big hire they make when they you know back up the brink checks we were talking about but i think he should absolutely be interviewed and if things weren't so weird at auburn right now maybe you'd, i just don't want him walking into that mess that's my main thing about cadillac i don't want him to be the one to fire or to um to walk into that fire after all that stuff but if he could get like a clean slate you could just tell that he gets it and that's like what you hope for in a coach Exactly. And I don't know what his next step is or what it's going to look like, but I mean, we haven't named a coach for the all bang the drum team. I think Cadillac might've earned that spot. Mm-hmm. I think he might be the official coach of the all bang the drum team. I mean, there's always going to be the honorary Pittman stoops, you know, guys we, we've gone about <laughs> Bieber's for. there this year, but he yeah. kind of goes in and out of the list, doesn't he? Cause he'll, he'll do something right. You're like, yeah, then all the games you're saying, <laughs> if, if Bieber fires Marcus Satterfield and uh, after, after this regular season's over, then he gets to be back on the all bang and drum team. He can sure. be the special teams coach for the bang and drum team. There we yeah. <laughs> Bieber ball. yeah. He and Pete Lembo, you know, that's their thing. That's what they do. Special teams. Uh, if you have not, I know this was a long pod and you know what? Sometimes I just say, screw it. If we have great stuff, I want to give you guys all the, the insights possible. And if I think it's good content, then I don't mind having a two and a half hour preview pod. And if people are opposed to that, all right, sorry, you can listen to this another time. If it's too much for you to be able to get through, I, I, we try and bring some evergreen content to the table. So hopefully people aren't too bogged down by these longer preview pods we've been doing. But remember I remember what Billy Madison said, right? 
cherish it we're in like <laughs> week 10 week 11 like this is like the time of the year for the sec when it's like june when it's like the dog days of summer and all you got to watch is baseball and not slandering baseball people are like gosh i wish i could just listen to an sec podcast and so right now just think about it this is it this is billy madison being like you're in school right now you think it's dumb cherish it because it's the best time of the year stay here as long as you can <laughs> exactly you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group here named Red on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.